0: nation welcome back and thanks for tuning in for episode 110 which is promised to be one of the best episodes to date brian Huberty, also known as brian the botanist is here today to talk about functional mushrooms their massive purpose and role they play in our life and how live ultimates ultimate shrooms maintain the highest caliber and quality in the industry today folks there is so much i didn't know about mushrooms for example life and forestry restoration the importance of beta glutens and some surprise topics, such as chi running for marathon training. This broad-based conversation is full of knowledge that is very unique to podcasting. Be ready for Brian's extensive, yet easy-to-understand experience, and I thank him for sharing all of his time and knowledge with the best and brightest. Quick update on the website, everybody. We're slightly behind, if you haven't noticed, on the official publication and relaunch, although we promise the wait will be worth it. We expect a new site will be launched within the week, as we've been updating and playing with ScottyBurgess.com around the clock to bring you the changes that you all have been asking for, and I'm happy to say that that reveal is just around the corner. If you're new to the podcast and YouTube channel, take a moment and head on over to ScottyBurgess.com and take a minute to watch genuine video testimonials and determine for yourself what best-in-class content and affiliates can do for you as you move towards your personal wellness goals. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Brian Huberty in the new Healing Suite, and as always thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back. Super excited about this one because uh, I quite literally know almost nothing. Uh, so I'm going to be going into this podcast in this conversation as excited as I am, probably excited as you are to listen to it. About two weeks ago, I was sitting down with John and we we're going through and he was telling me about this uh, really fascinating product and what was really behind it and the legs behind it, why it was different. And we all know that if something spikes my curiosity, I'm like, I'm in. I'm just in. I get thinking about it, I do my own research. So from there, I was introduced to the, the local consultant, Michelle Kaplan, who introduced me to a company called Live Ultimate. And then she started talking about the difference between this functional mushroom set versus the others that are in the market space and why it's really, really good. I'm going to let our guest today talk about all those details. I was just intrigued. I was so intrigued. I was like, can I get in touch with the botanist? So I want to introduce everyone to Brian Huberty. He's down here in Miami Beach. He's live with us today in studio. Cannot wait to dive into this because there's so much. Without further ado, Brian. Scott, thanks for having
1: me. Appreciate it. So here. excited to be here and meet you. And let's talk mushrooms. Let's and, talk uh, mushrooms, and health, man, and and health And health and, and all, the all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, running anything you want to talk about today.
0: I found yeah. through my personal use of using mm-hmm. mushrooms. They have a profound effect on my physiology. Mm-hmm. So when I started taking lion's mane, Roshi, Chaga, my gut health went, I don't want to say through the roof, but it was, the balance started. Okay. Okay. My mental health drastically improved. Mm-hmm. My balance, my chi, my energy, my thought, it was next level. Wow. Well, the, the whole kingdom is, is important. Whether yeah, it's
1: food or whether it's, you know, because lion's mane you can eat oyster and yeah, oyster it's made
0: in my cabinet right now yeah, you
1: can use it in pasta you can oyster and shiitake are culinary but they are also medicinal and mm-hmm. have beta glucans but it's a very complicated but conversation they all medicinal?
0: That, that's yeah the thing. Oh, they're all
1: medicinal in a sense and yes they're, they're providing like
0: everything else yeah. we're trying to classify or put things in categories, categories sure right? culinary versus
1: medicinal versus necessary psychedelic physiology yeah.
0: we mm-hmm. are our yeah. living organism is nothing more than a representation of the mushroom, and it's very clear yeah. about that. Sure. Without these necessary elements, I'm going to get to uh, live to my. Yeah, no, it's okay. And, uh, we'll talk about, about our differences. How we cultivate? Yeah. From what is out in the market versus what you're all doing with the different fruiting bodies, uh, fruiting bodies, and the versus, concentrations yeah. of yeah. different chemicals. I'm not lab gonna be testing. Yeah. To know any of that, no. But all I know is that I feel better. Mm-hmm. And for the general person on the street, yeah, that's our biggest disconnect at the moment is how mm-hmm. do we feel? Yeah. And there's I mean, a lot of that's fatigue. That's our biggest metric. I think mushrooms,
1: the big three things that everyone thinks about, not everyone thinks about, but that we talk about when we talk about their potential is immune boosting, Mm -hmm. number one. They're very powerful immune modulators Mm -hmm. with the beta-glucans they contain and the other compounds. There's more than beta-glucans. I always like to say they're like the MVP or the all-star athlete, whether you Serena Williams or LeBron James, you know, like or Michael Jordan, who may have used cordyceps during his career i'm still looking into it but there's some rumors out there that michael jordan may have used cordyceps there's during the 1993 question, olympics without all the chinese olympics all these now.
0: professional athletes are using that and they're just not mm-hmm. publicizing it yeah
1: that's all because a lot of marathon runners secret. take cordyceps and some of them do and don't disclose now there's nothing wrong taking it some people just oh this is my little secret you know yeah
0: yeah that's but
1: cool. cordyceps boost your lung function but let's go back and which helps athletes and also boosts the oxygenation so
0: the, so the beta glucans that we yeah. talked about so you have Differences between companies, yep. Live Ultimate prides itself on mm-hmm. beta glucans being at the 35% or at least over 30%.
1: 30%, we say in the packaging, where it's at 35 according to lab testing, 34.7%. Yeah. Based on yeah. how
0: you're growing and how the fruiting process is versus yeah. that of, say, competitor, I want to focus on the. Yeah. competitors, I don't really well, you, care. I yeah,
1: I won't say, on. we don't ever want to trash any company. That's the one thing that we say, too, is we'll never... Whether it's our greens product, which is the ultimate elixir, and you could compare that to stuff in plastic. And there's companies out there that are big companies that are doing billions of dollars in sales. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's marketing and just fluff. And that's what it is. It's magic fairy dust. Some of yeah. these things, 75 <laughs> to 100 ingredients, and they're sprinkling. You mean the and, oh, yeah. They're sprinkling <laughs> in a little bit of magical, little she legit, like, but it's like this tiny little bit of shilajit. you know, but yeah. the is super random. But let's go back to uh, the industry. You know, they're cutting corners. It's really about making money for the most part. There's only X amount of companies with integrity. Mm. And Live Ultimate, I'm very proud to say as a leader and that our core ethics would never allow us to cut a corner. Mm. We've been asked even by a lab, like our lab, one of our first labs was like, oh, well, you know, we knew a great mushroom source from day one. We were introduced from day one of getting into the industry to the best source in the world. And since then, we've seen other sources. And one of our labs was like, oh, well, we don't use your source as our vendor. Our lab was in L.A. So it would take three to six months to get them approved, about six months to get this new vendor approved. And that's the cornerstone of our products. Sure. And they were like, you can go with this other company that's already a vendor. And the name of the company, I don't want to say the name, but it's a vendor. It wasn't science-based. And they didn't provide me any science. I asked, can they provide me any documentation on if it's a fruiting body versus mycelium? What's the levels of beta-glucans? What's the levels of starches? What's the heavy metal count? I just didn't get any response from this company. And I also knew from the name of the company, one of the words in the name of the company was culinary. It was culinary mushrooms. So they were selling basic, you know, mycelium based culinary mushrooms. And they couldn't get us all the mushrooms we wanted, the species for ultimate shrooms. It's eight species. They all have different levels of beta glucans. Some are as high as 55%, some are 8%. So chaga, which is from Russia and from Northern Canada and from Northern Europe grows on birch trees, it cannot be farmed. It's the one mushroom in our blend that cannot be grown on a farm is chaga. Mm -hmm. It only occurs in the wild. All chaga in the world is wild chaga. Now chaga is not threatened. It's not endangered. There's plenty of it. That's a big rumor that we dispelled a while back. Our sources, our collectors, they collect with what's called fair trade, Mm -hmm. not only fair trade, uh, wild crafting, Mm -hmm. where they have ethics. They don't take more than like 30% off of one growth. It's part of a dying tree. One out of every 300 birch trees has a chaga growing on it. And it looks like charcoal bursting out of the trunk of a white birch tree. It looks like a piece of charcoal. It's actually a cancer on the birch. But oh, really? in humans, it's been used in cancer studies. So chaga has 8% beta-glucans. So it's not all about the percentage. Turkey tail and reishi have about 55% on average in the fruiting body. Cordyceps on average has about 33%. And that's one that everyone loves to talk about. Cordyceps is the Viagra of the Himalayas is what they call it. You know, oh, really? it's, it's literally called the Viagra of the Himalayas. It's from Tibet, and it's been used by Chinese. Now for sexual
0: dysfunction or for cardiovascular function? Here's the interesting thing. like
1: Cordyceps is good for everything to strengthen your body, to tonify it. Your DNA, your athletic performance, your fertility, energy. Cordyceps is a major energizer without caffeine. It boosts your chi, is what they say. But it also has a very interesting way of how it works in the body. It's
0: not like the empty energy. For the most part.
1: This is nuts. there's a synergy between caffeine and mushrooms. Mushrooms have zero caffeine, and that's something to clear up quickly. All mushroom products, at least that we make, are caffeine free. Mm-hmm. Yet they're super energizing. So people with fatigue love ultimate shrooms and ultimate elixir because the mushrooms are energizing, the maca is energizing and ultimate elixir, the greens are energizing in that they alkalize you, and there's other herbs that are tonifying, like and then there's ginger, turmeric, and black pepper, which are good boosting energy effects without black pepper's a stimulant cayenne's a stimulant we don't have cayenne in our products but we don't use stimulants the big three things i was kind of saying about five minutes ago was immune boosting is number one when we talk mushrooms Mm -hmm. because of the beta glucans number two is brain function Mm -hmm. mushrooms are known to boost brain function medicinal mushrooms number three energy now you can keep going if you want because there's more benefits than that but energy we're talking about chronic fatigue even aging we're talking about Lyme's disease, which I've had twice. You know, we're talking about people who can't get out of bed, depression. They're, oh, mood boosting is the next benefit. Okay, sure. so that goes back to the brain. They're mood boosting, yeah. which the psychedelics are. Also, lion's main is so mood So, let me ask this in real quick. Yeah. So,
0: this morning during my study when I was reading Biology of Belief with mm-hmm. Dr. Bruce Lipton, iatrogenic death, the leading cause of death in the United States as of September of 2020. Prior to that, the latest study that was released before that was in 2005. It was the third leading cause of death. What is it? So, iatrogenic death. Iatrogenic. So, I A T R O G E N I C. Conservative estimates, according to the Journal of American Medical Association, which is the peer reviewed leading publisher of a data backed scientific focused study, iogenetic illness is the third leading cause of death in the United States. And that was back in 2004 slash 2005. Okay. Right? Now, according to the studies, in an article published by john hopkins more than 120,000 people die from adverse effects of prescribed medicines each year mm-hmm. meaning they were prescribed incorrectly or they just weren't misprescribing so and misprescribing contraindications contraindications all that kind of stuff. complications so direct
1: effects of like you said
0: and that's the thing so back in oh four or five it was 120,000 deaths per year now as of september 2020 obviously we're in a pandemic and i found really interesting since the start of that pandemic, the deaths on that topic have not been recorded. Really? Oh, yeah. They found collectively through another study in what I've done in the post that I put out, and mm-hmm. they put three other additional links that showed the concatenation of data that shows how and why it's now the leading cause of death wow. in this country. I wouldn't doubt it. That goes back to pharmacy. Um, I definitely,
1: as a teen, figured it out about 18 years old or so that I want to go into natural, holistic herbal Mm -hmm. medicine. I want to focus on having plants help us with our bodies being strong versus Mm -hmm. pharmacy because pharmacy, I love my mom to death. She knows that. I think for life-saving things, for things that, you know, like I had a pre-ulcer in my 20s, I had a stomach issue and they put me on Nexium and I was on it for like two weeks. That's like the last prescription drug I had in my life. And I had kidney surgery at one point because my kidney had a congenital defect is what it was called. Okay. I was born with a defect that didn't express itself till I was 16. It blocked my kidney, blood vessels spontaneously blocked my ureter. So they had to go in and reconstruct my kidney before they had lathroscopic. The I had to be saved by modern medicine. I would be, I don't know if I'd be alive without it.
0: Yeah, again, and that, that you You know. So really there's cool, a need for it. it. I don't want to. I don't want to
1: demonify, de demonify, de- demonize, Demon yes. demonize. <laughs> I don't want to demonize. We'll
0: leaving that
1: in the video. I don't mind. I don't mind. This funny. I don't want to demonize pharmacy because that's the problem. I think is we get really caught up in like this dualism of
0: yeah, evil versus good. Yeah,
1: yeah. Even with the talk of COVID, I want to find the path that is like harmonious as much as I can, and I think holistic medicine for me seems harmonious. Yeah. It seems and like a place it's, for allopathic
0: medicine. There's no mm-hmm. question a place for it. I've said this a lot. Penicillin saved a lot of lives. Yes, right. By the way, everyone, penicillin is mushrooms. Mm-hmm. That's right. And obviously, the, you are way more educated than I am. in No, the, the
1: kingdoms very wide and diverse. They make yeah. I think seventy percent of pharmaceuticals out of a plant source, like digitalis from foxglove is yeah. used as like a
0: heart. But what they, what know, they here's, and, and here's what I don't like. This yeah. is me, and this is something mm-hmm. where for those on the conspiracy side or not. But yeah. what they do is they're very heavily trying to make us rely on the external first mm-hmm. as our primary go-to yeah. because it's synthetically it's monetizable. And yeah. monetizable because yeah. no one makes money if you help sure. it, versus going internally knowing how to assess your own body and what's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, change. Joe Rogan I, talks about that a lot. You don't make
1: money keeping people healthy. That, like, yeah, that's
0: right. Getting yeah. them
1: on a running program, or even just a holistic health program—like, what's their motivation for that? As much as you know, building yeah. the sales of—we could take an antidepressant, we could take, you know, Adderall, we could take any of these things as an example. It's terrible what's going on in the world, and mushrooms are, I think, a very—I think um, mushrooms
0: are going to save the world.
1: I think that there is, yeah. The, Paul Stamets said, right. said that. Paul Stamets said, it, and I believe it, 100% yeah. from whether it's building structures, they're making clothes, they're making building materials. A chitin. I wanted to bring up. You know, they're they're hoping to three D print chitin, which is what mushrooms are based out of. Their mm-hmm. fruiting body is made out of something called chitin, which is okay. the analog to um, cellulose. So cellulose is what's in paper and what's in trees and in carrots. Mm-hmm. All plants are made up of cellulose. That's the fibrous stuff. You know, and for a mushroom, it's chitin. They don't have cellulose because mushrooms are in their own kingdom in the fungi kingdom, which is separate from the plant and animal, and it's more closer to the animal kingdom than it is to the plant kingdom. So we're more closely related to a reishi mushroom than the reishi mushroom is to the carrot. And that is important because the reishi mushroom has been, its genome has been mapped. And they found, I think, about 2,000 species Sorry, not species, genes. Genes. There's okay. about a, a million-plus species of mushrooms on the Earth. There was two. Over oh, th- three million, actually. Three, yeah, they don't even know yet how many are out there, I don't think. Of, they haven't discovered them yet. yet. That's only spurs, a certain yeah.
0: part of the world oh, yeah. they have discovered them.
1: Sure, I they're mean, growing so. every part of the Earth. They're probably even in Antarctica, frozen spores. You know, they come yeah. from outer space, too. Mm-hmm. They can survive in space, spores can. Yeah. The fungi kingdom is the genes. We're going, the reishi that has about 2,000 genes. They're now figuring out what it's doing in the human body. And it's more powerful than, I mean, I'm not gonna say it's more powerful. I'm gonna say that mushrooms, they base a lot of drugs on them, but I feel like there's so many things to unlock. And that the public isn't even aware well, of. Well, I'm going to throw this like, out there. Like, if it's, the public even knew about cordyceps and lion's mane for age degenerative, or, yeah, yeah, or health lion's dege- mane is neurogenesis yeah. at its best. It's going yeah, to help yeah. your nervous system so much. It's going to help you with your concentration, your memory, and your focus. And we know people need help with their concentration because they're prescribing Adderall like it's candy. Yeah. You know. And again, I'm getting a little bit on my soapbox. I wish that Donald Trump, and I'm not saying anything bad about him, I wish he would have mentioned cordyceps during the initial phase of the um, <laughs> COVID outbreak. And by the way, I have no political leanings. I like them all equally in the sense that I want to just I, love humanity. I don't humanity. have any
0: political anything anymore. Yeah.
1: I gave Nothing. it all up. I, I don't want Facebook. Less. I'm on there for my family photos. I'm not on there for the fighting. Same thing with COVID. Whatever someone chooses to do with their body, that's their choice. That's right. It's absolutely their choice. I wish the public knew about cordyceps. I wish someone would have said, hey, I erected a Cordyceps, what's cordyceps? Oh my God, Then that would have tripped the whole imagination cord of the Maybe country. Maybe we'll
0: do a post on it after we Yeah.
1: I moved from Wisconsin to Florida. I was living here for about six months to a year. It was just kind of lost, to be honest. I mean, I was dating someone who was from here and we were in Wisconsin, so I moved back down with her, but the relationship really didn't work out. We both moved on and um, I stayed down here. I was landscaping. I was doing landscaping and odd jobs for about a year, and I think I worked in a running store too. At one of my races that I did, I won the race. It was a turkey trot 10K in um, Tropical Park. Mm -hmm. And I met my future boss and um, the CEO of Live Ultimate, Mark Wachter, at the finish line. He was handing out flyers for his race. And this was about 2011. I met Mark and Rod, the two founders of Live Ultimate, because they were promoting their own race that they put on on Ocean Drive in Miami Beach. And at that time, I was living in Miami Beach and out at Tropical Park. I didn't know anything about them. And instantly when I met them, I'll never forget. I was like, these guys are really cool. I like being around them. I like their energy. Rod's about my age. He's thirty nine. I'm forty two. Mark's fifty three. So they're like a little bit different in age, you know. Mark's like a very young fifty three. When I met him, he would have been about forty five, but it was like the same age as Rod, like a thirty. They were now, just how long you been with Um, about ten years. Wow, about ten okay. years. Yep. Right. So Coming you, up. So you've been. In I the was beginning. hired in December of 2011, but the company's gone through a long evolution. That's very interesting because, again, it just shows that. Sometimes people get lucky right away, but oftentimes you know, success is about pivoting and about not putting good money on top of bad money. That's another little philosophy, but one is success favors speed and success leaves clues. That's something that Mark taught me, our CEO. Those are two. Success is something that is not something always that you can just grab onto unless it's something like you're, oh my God, you were just given the Bitcoin opportunity at the perfect time and you got into that or sure, something yeah, else. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to kind of innovate. You have to innovate. And innovation means pivoting. We started out as a philosophy. What is live ultimate? To live your best life possible. It's an inspirational message. It's literally what the company was founded on. Mark founded it on the principles of combining elements. Mainly um Anthony Robbins um, mm-hmm. had the ultimate program. It was ultimate something, ultimate performance or ultimate. It's a big program he had. So he liked the word ultimate. And then he was also really into live strong. He liked that message. Yeah, Lance Armstrong. And, and I like Lance, actually. I like his recent, I like his transformation. Another example of someone who made some mistakes and it pivoted and, and, and figured out who he truly is and it became a better person. So, you know, nothing wrong with Livestrong and he did some great work, you know, helped a lot of people with cancer, even though he had some bad things go on in competition.
0: On that, I don't know. I wasn't there. I choose not to pay attention to those things. Yeah, it's, 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 a it's a whole just, But The thing, thing is, yeah. get over it. Move yeah. on with the sort of, connotations, yeah. Because it's only, about, it's only a conversation, and one anyways, sure. him. So if he recognized that it, it was harmful, yeah, it's okay, that he it, he'll do it, yeah. right? But if it wasn't, who cares?
1: Yeah, I mean, it comes back to that foundation of where the company founded. I don't want people to think the company has any type of wrong reason to be founded because it doesn't. Because our mission statement and the way the principles and the uncompromising standards, it all comes back to your mission statement. For us, it's called our true north. We've definitely become a big family there of not only ambassadors and consultants like Michelle, who Mm -hmm. was amazing to introduce. Shout out to Michelle Kaplan for introducing me to Scott. Mark is the CEO and Rod is the Brazilian co-founder and he's He's a technology guy, and then Mark is a visionary. And Rod's got visionary aspects too, but Mark is truly the visionary of the company. Yeah. He's been there since day one. It's his company. He's brought in a nice team around him of about five or six people that have helped build the company with him, including Linda, who's our, our operations our COO. Basically, it all comes back to our true north, which he came up with in the last couple of years, about three or four years ago. And it, it starts off with with uncompromising standards and the belief that we must continuously evolve. Live Ultimate creates next-level, best-in-class, all-natural wellness and beauty products that profoundly impact, influence, improve your overall appearance, well-being, and beauty. And then it ends with, our mission is to inspire people to become more mindful about what they put in and on their bodies and to live their best life possible. Mm. So, that's our True North mission statement. It starts with, with uncompromising standards. And the belief that we must continuously evolve. So we have that on our, right when we enter our office, it's a big glass artwork thing. And it's a sailboat. And the sailboat is a live ultimate sailboat. We don't have it yet, but someday we will hopefully. And I love sailing, but I've never had sailboat. But it's a big giant sailboat. that They photoshopped whenever we don't know where to go, like a sailboat on the sea. Mm-hmm. You just go back to your true north mission statement. And you remember that everything has to be uncompromising standards. So that means that we can't cut corners ever. It's the same products that we want to put in our bodies are the ones that we want to share with people. We yeah, want to have the yeah, best yeah. products in the world because we saw that there was a need to improve the, the industry. The moral
0: ethic component to that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah.
1: I mean, we're a corporation, but we can't act like a corporation. Right. We didn't have a board of directors looking over our shoulder when we designed the products. Me and Mark, and I definitely did this, I was like, I'm going to break the industry. I thought of myself as a matrix disruptor. I put it on my Instagram for a while that I want to be a matrix disruptor. I don't want people to just get 200 milligrams of cordyceps. I want to give them a half a gram, and I want to give them, the real fruiting body. And I want we're figuring this out. I didn't know everything at first, but I knew that the industry was cheating people and that they weren't getting their money's worth. And Mark saw too, that there wasn't a greens product that really was an incredible, no fluff, no cheap ingredients in glass packaging. Uh, Our standards are, and that's the uncompromising standards, USD organic, NSF certified eventually for our Olympians and people that are drug tested that There's nothing in there that could ever trip a drug test, but you have to have that standard for, you know, professional athletes. So we're getting in something for, you know, all the seals, you know, obviously we're vegan products. We are non-GMO. We are fair trade. We are um, third-party tested is a big thing for us. Transparent labels that people can read. Mm -hmm. um, Glass packaging, eco-friendly practices for our Glass packaging is
0: massive.
1: Amber glass, yeah. Massive. Now, yeah.
0: the amber glass, is that the, the dark and black type mm-hmm. where sunlight can't penetrate yeah, through it so protects what, it. whatever's inside of it can last for an abundance. Yeah, I
1: mean, there's levels. There's like this blue glass that someone was showing me recently that's like, I forget what it's called, something with a P, but it's a very high level glass that is for like healers and stuff. But for the industry, amber glass is a huge upgrade from… Even a pouch, which a pouch isn't as bad because, okay, pouch is environmentally friendly. It's like a minimum amount of material. You can even use somewhat friendly materials. Yeah, but yeah. these plastic tubs mm-hmm. and all the other junk in the supplement industry, it's the so 1980. It leaches. It's, what, what it's bad for was the it? environment. It's, there was, um... it's a bad mentality to just even take your superfoods and pop them in a pill versus having a, a raw powder that we call whole food powder, Mm -hmm. and then you're actually putting it into your water and you're mindfully connecting with it. similar to Oh, on that one, the the
0: episode on Funky Guy, we talked about the radioactive sign on water bottles. Uh There's a list of what level per numeric sign on EWG that identifies basically what it is in the leak, in the potential harm. Yeah, because the consumer
1: doesn't know. I mean, you just brought up a powerful word, EWG. Environmental Working Working Group, group, they're our biggest partner for skin safety. For nutrition, they have the Dirty Dozen and Mm -hmm. the Clean 15 or whatever, you know, the the cleanest conventional foods and like a watermelon maybe and then like the dirtiest of the conventional foods like kale is notorious. Mm -hmm. for. I was reading the other day there's a chemical they spray on kale that's completely terrible for – I forget what it does but it just – Shuts you down. Kale
0: being touted as one of the
1: yeah. greatest. People greens don't know out it's there. one of the dirtiest, along with spinach and all the yeah. greens. You never want to buy any green or anything. Well, the
0: EWG yeah. has the Dirty Dozen yeah. and the Clean Fifteen.
1: One of their greatest studies was the umbilical cord study for babies so in there the were U.S. Two
0: hundred toxins.
1: Over two hundred toxins 200 were found in two thousand five in the average umbilical cord of a U.S. woman. U.S. woman surveyed, and it was a U.S. baby, and they found upwards of two hundred eighty seven chemicals in some babies. But on average, over 200. And they were from everything, from carpets. I'm I'm
0: going to read something to you as you keep
1: going. So Environmental Working Group is our big safety partner for skincare. And we call them the Toxicity Police. And they've taught me a lot because a lot of the stuff, you need a degree, Scott, in organic chemistry to understand anything in half of these cosmetic and skincare products. Because whether it's the preservatives and even understanding how they make these things or how all these ingredients work together. The average person doesn't care to be honest. And yeah. they did an expose, a movie, a um, documentary in the last couple of years. It's called Toxic Beauty. And similar to Fantastic Fungi, which is the big one for mushrooms, which yeah. I want to talk about in a second, yeah. Toxic Beauty is the equivalent for the beauty industry and the skincare industry, which Live Ultimate has skincare products, five of them. We call them skin nutrition. I, think I
0: saw something like that. And the conspiracies or, or the people yeah. that were trying to makeshift makeups and what was really going on, what was happening yeah. to this. Let's get rid of the word side effects. Doesn't exist. No effect. Direct link.
1: Direct effect. Direct effect. What's going on? Yeah, you know when we're talking about ultimate shrooms and how it's grown versus other products, it starts out doing everything as nature intended, instead of cutting corners and doing it like capitalism would demand. non synthetically. Yeah. So basically, most mushroom products are grown in warehouses, in facilities, not mm-hmm. on farms, and they are grown on brown rice or oats. Those are the two choices for most U.S grown mushrooms and other cheaply grown mushrooms. And to be honest, the U.S. is growing most of the cheap mushrooms in the world, and the Chinese are growing the ones that are grown with traditional methods, with thousands of years of history, just like the best coffees grown in certain places like Colombia and Ethiopia, Mm -hmm. Well the best mushrooms in the world are grown in China because they've been doing it for 5,000 years. And that's a fact. There are people in the U.S. that are doing it on a boutique scale, but when it comes to the industry, the supplements industry, Mm -hmm. China is actually not a dirty word. So, when we tell people that most of our mushrooms come from China,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we immediately have to help educate them that China is not a bad country. They are actually the homeland of mushrooms. Some of these mushrooms are from there, like cordyceps is from Tibet, mm-hmm. and it was used by the Chinese rulers for 5,000 years. The royalty were the only ones that had access to it, along with the monks yeah, in the that, early That's
0: the media and everything yeah. else, playing and, hide and we're
1: not in a We're not in a lead facility in China. We're in the mountains. So where they're actually from and where our partner, our partner, I'm very proud to say, is Jeff Chilton, one of the world's top three experts, along with Paul Stamets. Jeff Chilton.
0: Oh, they part of the company?
1: He's our partner. He's okay. our partner. And not in that he has a stake in the company, but we use his mushrooms.
0: Okay. Very so cool. Jeff
1: Chilton has been growing mushrooms since the 70s, and he basically is in Vancouver. That's where he lives. Mm-hmm. But he works with the Chinese because they grow 85 to 90% of the world's medicinal mushrooms come from China. It's a fact. 85 to 90%. And there's wow. always a need to do double checking and triple checking. Third-party testing is not required. It should be required. It should be required. should yeah. be required. In my heart, it's required. I won't let a product get on the market without demanding annual testing of batches and lots. And we do that for heavy at metals random, and too. microbials. And right. Mainly heavy metals is what we're looking at to keep the lead underneath like four parts per billion. Right. Arsenic and mercury are at very low levels. It's usually the lead lead and sometimes cadmium. Is it
0: possible to get those three metals specifically out? It's or? hard.
1: Jeff told me that chaga, because it's from forests that have older growth, wood. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of these forests are old growth, but they're birch. They're paper birch. And birch is not a long-lived species. It's a colony that's like a clonal thing. And it's not like these giant sequoias. It's like a small tree that populates a tundra. So they're out in these birch forests in Alaska and in Russia. We get ours from the Kamchatka Peninsula, which is in Eastern Russia over by the Bering Strait. It's from the wilderness, from an area that is like the Kamchatka Peninsula is nothing but wilderness. There's no cities anywhere within about a thousand miles or whatever. So that's where our Chaga comes from. But The fact is that it's wild-crafted, so it has higher heavy metal levels than anything grown on an organic farm. When you grow something on an organic farm, and our mushrooms are grown on organic farms in China, in the uplands, in the mountains, actually, the Zhejiang province, near a city called Longquan City, but it's like a tiny little village. It's not even a city. They have all the roads are made out of cobblestone. There's not a lot of cars. It's basically all these like trails and undulating hills. I was just in Guatemala and it reminded me of the Guatemalan highlands. I haven't been to China yet. We were supposed to go in 2020 before COVID started, yeah. but the trip got canceled. We're going to go when we can to mm-hmm. the Zhejiang province to visit and break bread with our mushroom growers because we want to give them hugs. We want to like, thank them. They've been growing them there. Now, these are family-owned farms. That's another important thing. They are not like pop-up factory farms. You know what I mean? These are grown in the mountains in a forest preserve. Mm. That's important to know. As an ecologist, I know what a forest preserve means. It means that if you look at the area where our mushrooms are grown on Google Earth, it's all green. The Zhejiang province has a lot of forest preserves up in the mountains. This is about 800 kilometers from Shanghai or from any other major city. There's no major cities nearby, so you don't have to worry about as much of the industrial pollution and the air quality and acid rain, which people worry about. There's a point. Yeah. To, you don't want to get a product from maybe Fukushima, even though I don't like to say anything bad about anywhere. Basically, these mushrooms are grown in the mountains on wood logs like nature intended instead of on oats or brown rice. Now, mushrooms can grow on anything that provides some carbohydrates. Nature intended them to grow on generally wood because mushrooms are nature's great recycler and they're the decomposer and recycler of the woods. Right. So they right. are there to recycle the wood into organic matter and to trade mineral, not trade, trade nutrients with the trees and to help the soil. They help trees communicate, they help the forest communicate. So the mushrooms are the great internet of the soil.
0: Yeah.
1: And they're everywhere mm-hmm. in the soil.
0: So if you're in a forest, you're walking on mycelium. And this is yeah. where I'm going to get a little geeky. The movie avatar yeah that whole network communication of, yeah of glowing the, and uh, all that yeah this is nothing more than yeah and mycelium
1: mushrooms. are the largest organism in the world yeah in oregon uh there's a mycelium but part of fantastic yeah. fungi which
0: is awesome about this movie on netflix was that they communicate prior to storms for all the surrounding life sure trees plants etc wow if there is a tree to be knocked down The basic reason why it's allowed to be knocked down is that it wasn't told that there was something coming. Interesting. And so it doesn't communicate. I know
1: I've also heard that um, with pests, they provide communication like with ants and other insects that could be predatory on Mm -hmm. a tree, that the mushrooms can help to prevent the pest from taking over the tree okay. and also they trade nutrients. Trees cannot produce certain nutrients and I forget the exact nutrient they're trading but the trees are producing something. So mushrooms don't photosynthesize, they're not a plant. Mm. So they receive nutrients from the plants in their soil system, here's how it works. It's something called a mycorrhizal association where on the tree roots, it's evolved that these nodules of the mycelium hook onto the tree roots and then it's a complex matrix throughout the soil like the internet. And it basically is like a brain and it's like just moving and it's constantly constantly moving nutrients and also communicating alerts if something's coming in. I don't know any specific example. I wouldn't want to say if an animal is running, it's going to be like, oh, there's a deer that's about to run by this oak tree. I don't think it's like that. But you know, if there's like a major pest coming in, like a major termites, they're going to take over a tree. I'm sure the mushrooms do respond and give the trees some support. And that's how they've evolved is that they support each other. It's a complex relationship and that's basically, mushrooms are very complex in that they're not just a food, they're also a major part of the earth and our ecology and then they're also part of outer space. They're thinking that they can be used for colonizing places like the moon and Mars as a building material, the chitin that I was telling you about. Remember I said chitin is what they're made out of. You have to boil the mushroom to break down the chitin because when you chew a mushroom, it doesn't break down the chitin and when your body digests it, it doesn't break it down. The chitin has to be boiled for three hours to get the beta-glucans out of it. So Mm -hmm. this is like another part of coming back to how Live Ultimate makes our ultimate shrooms. Let's kind of take a step back. We're growing them on organic farms, on wood logs, in hoop houses, outdoors, with fresh sunlight, although they're under shade cloth. Mushrooms grow in the shade, so they're growing in shaded hoop houses. Mm -hmm. With other plants, I've seen the photos many times. We have hundreds of photos we can share with our customers, and we do. Our ambassadors and our customers, we give them photos, we give them videos of our facilities where they're extracted and the farms where they're grown so that they understand the process. And then on the labels, we're clear and transparent and and we don't hide anything. And when people ask us for documentation, like certain researchers, we've given it to them and they've reviewed our products. Dr. Christian Gonzalez did that. But let's go back to the growing standards. Growing on wood logs because oats and rice is not what nature intended. And when you grow a mushroom on oats or rice, it doesn't have the right precursors for producing the spectrum of compounds that the mushroom so fruit body makes.
0: Grow, but it's It'll different. grow.
1: I use the analogy of like salmon and how they feed it, you know, junk sometimes versus what it's supposed to eat like krill which yeah, has astaxanthin yeah. in it. Salmon turns like red. Yeah. Like
0: corn raised salmon versus, sure, versus <laughs>
1: wild raised salmon. Wild salmon is red from the astaxanthin right. which is a powerful compound that I'm really into as a marathon runner and basically it comes from the krill that they're eating whether it's the shrimp or it's the algae. There's krill, it's a carotenoid. Krill is a type of shrimp but A carotenoid named astaxanthin is what the salmon are eating to get their superpowers. So that's what a real salmon is. A real mushroom is grown on a wood log because that's what its precursors, they're supposed to break down certain species of wood. And they produce the correct compound of medicinal species, especially in the abundance of the, we call them nutrients, because either compounds or nutrients, Mm -hmm. they produce them better And the full spectrum, instead of just like cheating a mushroom, yeah, I mean, you can flash them, flash produce them on brown rice or oats. And that's what some people do on, they use cute terms like, oh, we're growing them on organic oats. They'll put it on the packaging. Consumers have no idea that if you do a third-party test on an oats-grown product, the alpha-glucan levels, which alpha-glucans measure the amount of starches or sugars in a product. Beta-glucans are the medicinal compound. They're both polysaccharides. When you do third-party testing of a mushroom product, Mm -hmm. that's how you really figure out the true value of it, is a third-party test, not the marketing gimmicks, not the beautiful packaging, not the story. You really gotta do a third-party test, and that involves Mm -hmm. either a consumer sending it to a lab and paying a lab to do it, Mm -hmm. it's about $100, Or the company doing it out of integrity and having it as an annual part of their paperwork so they know what they're selling people. Because there are companies out there selling products loaded with heavy metals. There's protein powders loaded with heavy metals. People take some of these mushroom products that are loaded with sugars and flavors and And they're mycelium-based and they feel energy. It's because there's caffeine in there. They're mixing coffee together with mushrooms. You want to look for 100% fruiting bodies. Mm -hmm. You want to look and make sure you don't have mycelium in your mushroom product. Because if you're buying a mushroom supplement that has mycelium in it, Mm -hmm. you're basically paying for the placebo effect. You're getting about 1%. And this it's a bold statement. If you classify a product as a mushroom product, then you have to use the fruiting body because the mycelium is not a mushroom. The mycelium is part of the mushroom kingdom, but the way that it's been described to me and the industry regulates it, they don't actually regulate it, but it should be. The laws on the books that a mushroom product is supposed to be the above-ground growth, right? Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be the tempeh. If you want to understand mycelium in a nutshell, if people know what tempeh is, it's a soy-based product, mm-hmm. you can grow... Let's break it down. The mycelium is the root structure that goes throughout the soil. Yep. And then the fruiting body is the above ground growth, the cap and the stem. We call it the apple of the mushroom mm-hmm. versus the roots of the apple tree. You want the apple because it's magnifying all the life force from the mycelium from literally some of these mushrooms are take up an acre of yep. mycelium. Mm-hmm. And then they concentrate it into X amount of fruiting bodies that pop up. That's the culmination of the life cycle and the fruiting body has spores in it. And then the spores drop out of the mushroom. And then that's how the whole cycle starts again. The spores germinate and create mycelium, which mm-hmm. creates a mycelium mass or root system, or it's not a root, but it's like a root a network. It's system. an imbe- mycelium is almost invisible, but when you flash grow it on things and they're growing them in sterile conditions. So they're growing a lot of mushroom products are grown in sterile warehouses. And that's how you grow culinary mushrooms is indoors, at least is in sterile conditions, but, but nature I mean, like, didn't you, intend that.
0: Yeah. You don't, I mean, no, nature's and, not growing it in sterile.
1: I mean, the thing is they're in the, they're in these like, industrial compounds facilities. And then that's like a big difference. And we do take it back to our granola roots. We want to do things like it would have been done before we had all this technology. The Chinese were extracting mushrooms by making these big umbrews. So they and decoctions and tinctures. So there's two ways to extract a mushroom. You either need to use hot water for three hours to pull the beta-glucans and the other compounds out. And then the secondary extraction technique, and some mushrooms you need to do both. You always start with hot water first. The secondary extraction is with alcohol. It's an ethanol extraction. And that's for the harder Mm. mushrooms like reishi and chaga. Mm. Now back to the fruiting body and the mycelium. The fruiting body is the magnification of the whole life organism. On average, according to lab reports and studies, it has 50 to 60 times the beta-glucans of the mycelium. So, if you're buying a mycelium-based mushroom product, on average, the tests show beta-glucan levels less than 3% and even below 1%, 0.1% or 0.01% or it could be 1%. Let's so they, say, they're claiming it's it
0: there, but it's not. They
1: might not even put anything on the label. On the front, it might say cordyceps mushroom and it has a picture of the cordyceps mushroom, the golden thread, which is legendary. You know, It comes out of the ground out of caterpillar heads and ant heads and wasps. That's how it originally grows, the wild cordyceps, which... We don't use because we have a vegan product. We use lab-grown cordyceps. So it's a complicated story. Six of our mushrooms are grown on wood logs on farms. And they're either grown on sawdust or on wood logs themselves. Like reishi grows out of wood logs. Like the the farmers hold the logs that they pull them out of the ground after two years. The mushroom comes out of the top, but then they dig the whole log out sometimes for photos. And it's a big hardwood like cherry or oak or something. Hmm. And then other mushrooms like lion's mane might grow better on packets of sawdust. On like these bags, like these long bags that they fill with just sawdust. Hmm. But they're using the, the right growing material, sawdust versus oats or rice. Hmm. Um, and then others are grown on wooden pegs. It all comes back to wood. wood. Now in the US, most mushrooms, about 90% of the industry is grown on brown rice and oats. And the lab reports have shown Less than 3% beta glucans. We were told by our partner and expert, Jeff Chilton, in designing the ultimate shrooms formula, we wanted to come up with a unique blend. So we used eight species, including chaga, reishi, lion's mane, cordyceps, turkey tail, maitake, shiitake, and oyster. Mm -hmm. Those are all medicinal mushrooms that have some of them have anti cancer effects. Some have over 300 species of mushrooms have anti tumor effects in the body. We created the product with eight mushrooms because You know, there's a lot of products with three or four. There's even probably some with 15, 20. We wanted to create a go-to. We say that mushrooms are nature's most powerful immune support. So that's our tagline for Ultimate Shrooms, nature's most powerful immune support. Now, it's debatable, but it's definitely one of the most powerful immune supports in the world. They're all generally recognized as safe ingredients by the FDA. All of our mushrooms and superfoods are GRAS, grass determination of their classification. And then Jeff said the biggest standards are 100% 100% fruiting body with zero mycelium, no starches. If you do a lab test on this, and that's the next step is the lab testing. You want to guarantee 30% or higher beta-glucans because that's a very high mark. Someone would say, well, why not 100% or why not 90? Isn't it a more is better? No, because mm-hmm. it's, there's a full spectrum of compounds. There's triterpenes, which have a bitter taste, and they're in reishi. Those are important in medicinal activity. Chaga has betalunic acid. Cordyceps has cordycephal acid. Reishi has ganodermic acid. Lion's mane has arinacines and hyraceans, which are all come back to the species and genus. And the genus is hyraceous, arinaceous, or something for lion's mane. So, they name all these compounds. Basically, it's like this. CBD has like, what, 10 or 20 phytocannabinoids and then like 30 terpenes in it. Right. Mushrooms are not just beta-glucans. They have a supporting cast mm-hmm. of acids and other compounds The most famous are triterpenes, ergosterol, ergotheanine, and beta-glucans, which I call like the Michael Jordan. And when you do the tests of the products on the market in the US, you'll find that most products have a very high amount of alpha-glucans and a very low amount of beta-glucans. They'll have 1% or less or 3% or less beta-glucans way down here at the bottom, and then their alpha-glucan content, which measures the amount of starches and sugars, Mm -hmm. and those starches and sugars are coming because the mycelium is grown on brown rice and oats, and they can't separate the two. It's a matrix. It's like a tempeh. It's spread throughout. So what they do is once they're done growing it, they grind it up into a powder. And that powder is a mixture of wow. 60 to 85% sugar and starches uh, from the brown rice and oats left over that right, it hasn't right, used. Right. And then it's got a little bit of beta-glucans. And like it's all about the lab test. Ultimate shrooms had about 2.3% alpha-glucan, which we were told is the exact amount about that a natural mushroom would have in its profile is a tiny amount of that starch. And then the rest of it is beta glucans plus ergosterol plus all these compounds that are coming along. And we don't use any of the fiber. We extract all these compounds and mm-hmm. then we separate the fiber from the because um, you don't need the chitin anymore. The chitin is just like you can use it to build a house. You can use it to make leather. You can make vegan leather out of mycelium out of chitin. Mm-hmm. You know, chitin and mycelium are a little different. The chitin is the fruiting body structure, the mycelium is the underground. They're both used for building
0: structures now. So let me jump to yeah. topics. Botany. Are you as passionate about botany as you are about marathon runner, and why?
1: It's a good question. <laughs> it's <laughs> tough to compare the two yeah. and the passions because I think they have different roots. I think I'm such a driven runner because I was kind of, I mean, this is a vulnerability story, kind of always chosen last, you know, in sports in high school. Mm-hmm. I was the smallest kid. I was probably the second smallest kid in my grade in my public school I went to,
0: and it was about 130 people in my class. You know, I was about five, two, And that was three. the biggest. Where your thought is on that is the same where my thought is as well. There is no difference. You felt isolated in a sense. Oh, it was completely isolated, yeah. Because that was, Mm -hmm. mm to give you one idea, everyone had a last statement for their yearbook. Okay. Mine was, I'm leaving my size 13 shoes. I never, when I say never, 98% of the time I never had shoes that fit me properly. And it wasn't by design. Like we tried to find shoes that were small, that it's, so it's frustrating. They just did not have size yeah. 13s. And up until maybe a few months ago, I had hammer toes my whole life mm. because my shoes when I was a so kid you have were Wide so small. shoes, wide toe box. Yeah. yeah, My Toes finally elongated back up. Mm. Yeah, so toe I'm health like, is important.
1: It's I was a soccer player originally in high school but I and I was okay at soccer but no one ever pulled me aside and said and I was actually in the same kind of shape then as I almost am now mm-hmm. like I've kind of stayed very similar in health almost since I've been 15 and I'm 43 in a couple of months so I've done a really good job of staying I think healthy through running and soccer and so I was a soccer player but when it came to basketball football you know any other sport volleyball even soccer I was kind of a bench warmer and mm-hmm. I realized with running and I kind of got into running because I was a soccer player, and it kind of built that fitness because when I was 20, out of nowhere, I said I wanted to do a marathon, and it was in my city, the year 2000, the Madison Marathon. So, I jumped into that with zero training. I just did like a 10 or 12-mile run, but I had hand-me-down shoes that my friend's dad, who was a jander, gave me. So, really? I literally had hand-me-down ASICs. I didn't know any runners. I wasn't a runner yet. I did the Madison Marathon in 2000, and I ran 418. I had dreadlocks and a bandana on. I was raised <laughs> by Rastas a little bit in my youth. After that, I didn't run for eight years. I had bad knee pain. I didn't think I was ever going to run a marathon again in my life. I just did one when I was 20 as a bucket list thing. And then eight years later, I started dating a runner. And then we started doing training runs together. I fell back in love with running. Right when I fell back in love, I read an article online about this course coming to town called Chi Running. Mm -hmm. And it was like the same week or two I'd started training almost in my local newspaper. And so I basically was like, okay, I'm going to learn this system. What I learned was that I'm a good runner. That's what I'm really good at. I'm finally good at something. I yeah. mean, I was good at like art a little bit. I was like an art student and I went into botany right out of high school almost. I took a year of art school first in college and then I switched to botany. I figured out, oh my God, I'm really good at running because after I started training again, after that eight-year break at the age of 28, my next marathon's 345. And then my fourth one, two later, I won a trail marathon in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Wow. Where I had about three or 400 people in it and you go up this massive Hill, at the, in the middle of the course, you climb up an observation tower. it's called Trailbreaker. You climb up like a 15-story tower and ring a bell and go back down. that's a halfway point, and then you go back the bike trail all the way back into town, and on the second half of the course, I was able to dig it out and win it in three hours flat. And that was only my fourth marathon, so I'm like, "Oh my God, I'm pretty good at this. Just winning a marathon, and I was like 29 years old then, about 13 years ago, it did a lot for my confidence. I just ran with it, literally became a coach. And now I coach high school sports in Miami Beach. I coach cross country at the Hebrew Academy. For the last eight years, I've been their head coach and it's a small program, but I love what I do there. The kids are so much fun to work with. Every year teach me so much about myself. Running just kind of helped me become the man I am. And botany, I think goes back to my youth because my mom had us gardening early. We had a garden in our backyard and she had us. I'm from a family of four boys. Huberty Boys, in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin. I remember very vividly, every spring, when the ice and snow would melt, we had a garden that had, it was like a big rectangle. Mm -hmm. And it had a raspberry patch on one side. On the other side, we had a little turtle pool. I'm super into turtles too, another side story. (laughs) I had like a pool of turtles, I'm still super into turtles. Each had a square. So there were were six squares, because my mom and dad got a square too. And then there might've been like an extra patch at the end for like the pumpkins or whatever, because those grow pumpkins and watermelon spread out those, you know, they they grow on the ground a lot. But we each had a square. And then my mom literally had a piece of paper, a bigger piece of paper that she put down on the kitchen table each spring. And we each got our square. And then we had colored crayons. And this is from like the age of two or three, maybe four. So, I was getting my hands dirty gardening, you know, and growing my own vegetables, carrots, potatoes. In your square. In my square. I got to choose whatever I wanted. I, cool. That I could figure out, you know, like I wasn't raised by super hippies, but I was raised by hippies. But they yeah. were reformed hippies, if you want to call yeah, them that. Yeah. They were professionals. <laughs> my mom was a pharmacist, a career pharmacist, so that's actually a big part of my botany is that she was a pharmacist for 35 years at the same mm, hospital I was born what in. What a sign that is right there! Wow. My dad is an amazing man. Both my parents are still alive. They're amazing. My dad ran a credit union, so a very different side of things. You know, he was a credit union president manager, and yeah. he's always been an accountant. But he was a gardener, too. So he had his rock garden over on another edge of the property. We had about half an acre. It wasn't a big property, but we had you know, a lot of trees and stuff. My dad had a rock garden, that was like a big mound, and I always remember him in the rock garden. It was like one of those like kind of ones where it's like the little sculpted plants and everything that look cool. So we had our vegetable garden, and that was probably my earliest connection with wellness. Hmm. And then beyond that, just playing sports and then hikes and trips and stuff. But then when I got to about being 15 to 16 or 17 My older brother, so I'm the second oldest. My older brother is a geology professor and Hmm. a doctorate. So he's really into the earth sciences like me. And we have a history of geologists in my mom's side of the family. Like a bunch of my mom's extended relatives helped found the UP, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and they found some of the iron ore deposits. And like there's museums we go visit up there in Marquette, Michigan. Basically, my brother, being my older brother, he influenced me a lot. Hmm. And he went to college before me. We went to the same college, University of Wisconsin-Madison, the Badgers. My mom and my older brother, I mean, my dad had a big influence on me too, but my mom and my older brother had a big influence on me. So my mom, I grew up going into the pharmacy at the hospital and I saw what they did in the pharmacy and it was insane. I oh, mean, wow. all the different machines and they're popping pills out of different areas and they're putting them into packaging and she's got to read and she told me how hard it is to read the doctor's handwriting and how you can get sued if you do something wrong. I mean they yeah, have insurance yeah. for you, but you can't even read. It's like a scribble, da da or something. Oh my god, what milligrams? I don't even know. And they have to like blend stuff. They're making pills there on the site. They're blending stuff. Yeah. So it's not as simple as just pushing a button. She says the kids nowadays, they have way advanced education compared to her because she went to school in like the 70s, I guess. But she was at the same hospital for 35 years. So, big influence on me. She never pushed pharmacy on me, but she brought home from her conventions all the trinkets and I got to see kind of a little bit of the industry. Mm -hmm. And then my older brother was the exact opposite and he loves my mom to death, but he's exact. So, he was a super hippie. Uh, He started growing dreadlocks um, at the age of 18. He was studying GMOs, and he started an organic farm. That was the biggest thing. He started an organic farm in Madison called Abundant Earth. Mm. and It was a community-supported agriculture. Still there? Uh, no. He did it for a couple of years, but he now does more geology than anything. So it was that age in his life, and he started a farm, and he had workers, and then he had accounts that we would deliver the produce to. It was about a two- or three-acre organic farm, and we used no machinery. We only used shovels, and it was called biodynamic. And you're going by the moon. You're burying antler horns full of nettles that are fermenting underground or putrefying. I don't know what the word is, but they're changing underground. And then you bring it back up out of the ground after a couple of months. And then you mix it into like a big amount of water and it makes this like supercharged fertilizer. Mm. I mean, we're growing garlic. He was really into garlic. We had huge amounts of garlic, potatoes. We had an herb garden. We had a flower garden because his girlfriend was growing tons of cut flowers. So I was about 17 years old and I was working on his organic farm. And he was 20 and in college, and I got exposed to his college life. It was a lot of free thinking at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. His friends, what they were really into and it influenced me was social topics of environmental, the earth, and food. Mm. So GMOs was what I did my senior thesis in botany. And even though I was also really into mushrooms and South American flora, but basically I did my senior thesis on GMOs. And I really dived into that back into like the late 90s. I graduated in 2002. It's a complicated conversation, but GMOs was part of my college experience. And I learned that from my brother. And I was actually taken to some like peyote ceremonies with him with Native Americans. So I think that that time influenced me a lot because I could have been anything when I went to college. I mean, I have this vivid memory. I tell my girlfriend once in a while is the first day of college, you're like, okay, accountants over here, nurses over here, lawyers over here. You're like in this like big room and it's like an orientation. Mm. I don't know if they do it like this anymore but it was kind of chaos. They're like, "Okay, if you want to be this, go over here." And I'm just like, "You're making those last second decisions." Art- <laughs> it sounds like the B movie. Yeah, it's like, "Okay, if you want to be a <laughs> rocket scientist, you know, go over here." And my brother actually did study nuclear engineering and then he changed into geology. So he a lot of people change. I started yeah. in art school, but I quickly after one year I decided, I and the funny thing is I said, I don't want to sit in front of a computer as a graphic designer because I kind of went into graphic design school my freshman year yeah. after doing like color theory and all the 3D and all the things they have you doing. But I, I realized after one year that my heart really wasn't in art. And I've thought about it. And I'm like, what do I really want to do? Because like, I don't want to switch back and forth a bunch. Mm-hmm. And I, my memories were, I really liked gardening. I really liked farming. I really liked I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in the suburbs, but I got to work on a farm and had the connection to land. And I really like plants. I decided Mm -hmm. I really like being around them. They make me feel at peace and I like to understand them. So that's what I was literally thinking. And I was like, I like botany. I want to go into botany. So I was about 19 and I switched from being an art student to being a botanist. And that's what I ended up finishing. And I ended up getting an ecology degree along with it. So I got a conservation biology degree. The University of Wisconsin and Madison are very into ecology. It's where Aldo Leopold and John Muir, Mm -hmm. two famous conservation ecologists, John Muir from out west, you know, he's saving all the trees and all the forests. This was back in the 30s around Teddy Roosevelt's time. And Aldo Leopold, who is a very famous philosopher for ecology, they all cut their teeth in Madison. So I was really into ecology. and I still am. I got my botany degree with ecology with environmental studies certificate. So kind of like almost a triple major of like all these things that are all about earth sciences. When I graduated, I couldn't find any work because there was a hiring freeze at our local DNR, which is Department of Natural Resources. And it was a state funded, basically the people who work with all the natural areas in the state and monitor them and study them and protect them Mm -hmm. and also study the animals and plants to make sure everything's okay and thriving. So there was a hiring freeze indefinitely. And so I was like a little panicked. It was two thousand two, and I was like, "Okay, I'm." I did do some internships at places like the International Crane Foundation in Baraboo, and learned a ton. They have a huge prairie there, and that's what I ended up going into. I focused on prairies because that's what Wisconsin has a lot of. At first, I was very interested in South America, and that kind of goes into the botany, but the prairies are botany too. Everywhere you look, there's herbs and there's botanical uses and cultural uses, whether you're in Wisconsin or you're in Peru.
0: So where do you go food shopping, knowing what you know?
1: Yeah. It's not an easy process because I ideally want to be growing my own food. I ideally want to be in a place like Costa Rica, to be honest. I was just talking with someone
0: yesterday in my office who... My mother-in-law just brought that up early this morning. And my wife, Michelle, has a fantastic idea that I'm not going to say on this show live. But, <laughs> are you going to go remote? <laughs> uh, but I'm like, look, we're going to keep going south. Costa Whether it's Rica.
1: Homestead or Costa Rica, you know, Homestead's yeah. got some nice land. I have some friends in the Redlands. That's down basically
0: there. the only place left yeah. in South Florida where you can actually get You can't land.
1: divide a property under five acres. You cannot sell less than five acres. If they're protecting its zoning laws. And we have those in parts of Wisconsin yeah. that are protecting the prairies. And so after college, I founded a prairie company, and forestry restoration that restored the oak woodlands, which are called savannas, oak savannas and prairies of Southern Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And my company was called Ecological Restoration Services. So for about 10 years from the age of 22 to, well, about 20 to 30, because right in my middle college, I started to do that prairie work. And I was working for nonprofits, but also for wealthy landowners that had prairies and were protecting them Mm -hmm. from invasive species mainly things like trees coming in. You have to remove the bad trees that aren't supposed to be there. Really, only the oaks are supposed to be in the oak savanna, and like some things like elms or other types of species that would grow among the oaks, like um, shagbark hickory, Mm -hmm. um, but box elder and Black locust, which is an invasive species, or buckthorn and honeysuckle, these are all terrible invasive species, just like the python is down here, uh, even iguanas, and even some of these tall plants that are these tall grasses down here that grow like 20 feet tall. So every state or every region has its own problems, and Wisconsin has a lot of problems, especially around developed areas. So For 10 years, I did ecological restoration work on land with a crew, with chainsaws and with chemicals, we did get into organic uses, but it was very hard to do most of our work organic. Yeah, we did a lot of prescribed burning. We burned the prairies. We burned the woodlands in a controlled manner. I got certified in burn training. I did that for a while. I was very connected to the wow, earth, wow, and I literally wow. didn't talk to people much. I literally just my days would be, I'm going off into a woodland. It's two or 300 acres. I might be with my crew, or I might be by myself. Now I was an entrepreneur, so I was scouting jobs. Sometimes I was getting jobs from government agencies. We were working our butts off, and we were barely making like 30000 a year. Individually, so I did that for about ten years, and I was risking my life. I tell my parents and my girlfriend sometimes I'm like, I'm lucky to have both my hands after ten years of forestry, and that I didn't die because we took out some trees sometimes and other things. It didn't have to be a giant tree that's bigger than you. Like it could have been a box elder that just wasn't supposed to be there, and it was falling apart anyways, and the landowner didn't want it there. And really, you're trying to protect the crown canopy of the oak trees. So could have been a buckthorn patch where buckthorn grows like it looks like a cancer in the woods. It's got all these thorns coming off of it. It's a tree. It's a small tree. It gets about 20 feet tall, but it can be as short as a you know, foot, but it grows in thickets and it does birds spread it. and That's the problem is the birds are spreading the seeds and that's what caused a lot of the invasives. And The lack of fire prevented the forest from protecting itself because only the yeah. oaks can survive the burns because they have thick enough you say bark. That,
0: this morning yeah. when I was talking to my mother-in-law, we we're talking about natural fires actually by design, very healthy for- They've been happening
1: for thousands of years yeah. and then we stopped them because of policies.
0: Yeah, so, or because yeah. we're using much wood in one area to build protecting, homes and Yeah, back. I'm
1: protecting homes. There's reasons. I mean, but uh, they do prescribe burns in Florida. But I did that for 10 years, and then I realized that I'm getting exhausted doing this, and it's truly not my passion. So it just keeps coming back to what's my passion, what's my passion. And it was my passion, but I didn't see myself as a 50- or 60-year-old playing with these chemicals still. And this is, comes to kind of where I'm at with wellness now, with Live Ultimate. I was reading my labels, and this is a big story. There was foresters in Canada who were using 2,4-D, and that's a chemical you can use in the U.S., but it's like the most commonly used forestry chemical in Canada, 2,4-D. And Roundup is the most commonly used, glyphosate mm-hmm. is the most commonly used. I was swimming in glyphosate for about 8 to 10 years. It took me about three years to detox from all these things, using yeah. milk thistle and all these herbs. But I yeah, basically... a
0: kill agent for all the plants.
1: Yeah, so I read an article that 2,4-D in Canada, foresters' dogs are dying of cancer. And I was like, this is crazy. Then I was reading about all the chemicals I was using, and every single chemical was linked to cancer, from Mm -hmm. glyphosate to triclopyr, which is what we used on trees. It's called garlon.
0: That's Mm -hmm. the industry trade name is garlon, but the chemical name is triclopyr. Let me stop there for a moment. So it's not just glyphosate that's contaminating our food source, and it's a host of other chemicals as well. Forestry, we use 10 to 20 chemicals on
1: a weekly basis, maybe 5 to 10, but there's a whole gamut that they would use in their arsenal there's ways to get around chemicals, whether it's mechanical, you can go in forestry mowers and you can literally mow a forest yeah, with yeah. these teeth that go in that are like something you'd send into a battlefield because mm-hmm. you're going into an area. We opened up forests that like you couldn't a chipper, get. right? Yeah, like a gigantic chipper on an industrial scale because some of these forests, they really are supposed to be savannas and they're like in Africa where a bird can fly through. Like There are species of birds that are supposed to be able to fly through, swoop through. They're called harriers and hawks. These birds fly through and kestrels. And when the forest is closed, the native plants can't grow there because there's no there's no room. All the invasive species took over the whole forest. And you can't even fit a ruler through some of these forests. Uh, You can't even crawl through them. They're like a thicket of nastiness. And so we would go in on our hands and knees with chainsaws. And I had three or four. I had some of the highest quality chainsaws in the world. And for about 10 years, this is a pretty interesting tie-in. That and the soccer made me into a really strong marathoner because I would work 10-plus-hour days in the woods. With the position you have
0: got in off of one knee. You're down on like one that, knee. You're, sorry. You're, you're going it's And the faster you can move, things. the
1: better. You're just going like this all day. You're just you're moving through the forest, and you're, you're just moving in circles. Zing, 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 zing. You got helmets on, and they have these things called widow makers. If you hit a tree wrong, if it's a big tree, if a tree's got caught on something, uh-huh. and it's like visualize, you know, like an arch. yeah, And then if you release it, even if you're highly trained, if you release something, it can poof, and just hit you in the face and yeah, take off your head. Or a tree can jump out at you when you're cutting a big tree. A tree could accidentally jump. They'll jump. When all that weight is moving, I mean, we cut trees sometimes that were as wide as your door, and they were 30 or 40, 50 feet tall, and you sometimes can take them apart in pieces. But if you can't, everything's about physics and about, okay, where is this tree going to land? What is the weight positioned in the top? You have to study everything. That was what I did for a while. I took that on as my mission. But then I realized that I had kind of, what would you call a, a crisis moment when I turned about 30. I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. I was risking my life too much. And it was dangerous. in the chemicals, I couldn't get around the chemicals, whether we were doing burns or mechanical, you still needed chemicals for a lot of these projects. Ones that were paying the best were usually the ones in the, you have to use a chemical and do a big DNR project of some wetland and you're affecting things like frogs and birds and i was doing studies of dragonflies and i was doing citizen-based monitoring with young kids teaching them how to identify frog calls and i'm doing that one weekend with a non i'm working for and then during my day job i'm spraying chemicals in wetlands that some of them are wetlands certified but still you're spraying chemicals all over the environment i would come home and my hands would be red and purple from the dyes because we would put dyes on them so you can see what you sprayed there would be a dye and so i just remember vividly like i was about thirty. My hands got so destroyed doing it for 10 years, I need to acupuncture a bunch on my hands and forearms. Mm. And then I was covered in chemicals all the time. I'll come home, take all my clothes and throw them like even outside of my apartment, like outside the building. My boots, I mean, I got Lyme's disease twice in Wisconsin from doing this too. And I got through wow. it within a week or two. I don't want to use chemicals anymore. I'm detoxing. I still love ecology. I'll support restoration ecologists, but I'm moving on. So I left Wisconsin and came to Florida, but that's like the next transition.
0: What did you do for detoxing your body? So, so this is years? actually a good tie-in,
1: too, to botany to because that. I started learning about herbs when I was about 18. Hmm. And I learned about milk thistle early in my life. And hmm. milk thistle, they have a pharmaceutical drug made out of it. And the active ingredient is called silymarin. And it detoxifies your liver. It's a liver stimulant. or liver is it just your liver? It works in more than just your liver. So here's what it does. It protects your liver and your brain and your organs from not only the effects of alcohol, up to 90%, they say, according to studies, but it also protects you from toxins and poisons. So, you can literally take something accidentally. Like, let's let's say you ate a bad mushroom that you shouldn't eat, like a poisonous one.
0: Okay.
1: It could cost you... An organ. If you don't get to a hospital quick enough, literally, yeah, people have died. No, would one. that be the
0: natural yeah. antidote next to that? It could be, with, along with
1: charcoal. Forest. I would obviously take charcoal too if if I was a mushroom forager. A lot, I'd have charcoal on me nonstop because mm-hmm. charcoal could absorb it if it wasn't good for you. But also, milk thistle protects you from toxins and poisons. It is a liver antioxidant booster, so it basically encourages your liver to work hard. So if you have a sluggish liver. So, I was taking milk thistle from about the age of 18 till currently in college. I actually used to give it to girls, have a date. I didn't date many girls, to be honest. And a couple of <laughs> girls I had, girlfriends or whatever, girls I was interested in, I would give them a tincture I made of milk thistle and tell them to drink. 30 drops before they had any alcohol because in Madison, it's a big drinking culture. Mm. So, this was me as an 18 or 19-year-old. Like, I'm like giving like a little tincture of milk thistle that I made out of Sky Vodka in a dark glass jar. You're probably
0: thinking, what the hell is this? And it's the most considerate This guy's thing. nerdy. <laughs> you, well, the, well, I'm thinking, I'm like, how considerate? It was
1: a big party time. And, and uh, Madison, they got rated by Playboy magazine as a number one party school in the U.S. So, yeah. bigger than, you know, University of Michigan. So, that's literally, I came from like a drinking culture and I'm German. So, it's also been a conflict in my life. And so, I learned early on how to safely, mindfully use things like herbs and milk thistle. I, I've always used wow. along with mushrooms like cordyceps. I've been using cordyceps for about 20 years and it's been a big thing for my marathon. Running, so
0: Now, if we have detoxification or someone who needs to, mm-hmm. their evacuated system is clogged up and it just, it's overloaded. Yeah. Are there benefits there as well? That's a big one because heavy metal especially. Yeah the fluorides, the chlorides, the Mm -hmm. bromines, and all the the elements are in our drinking water that are not being evacuated normally, will these mushrooms also have a positive effect in that role? Yes, they do. Mushrooms are
1: adaptogenic, so they pretty much support everything your body needs support with. The list continues beyond the immune boosting, brain boosting, and energy boosting Mm -hmm. to mood boosting, which we said is part of fertility boosting. Now, Mm -hmm. let's go back to kind of things that modern Americans, and not only Americans, I call them earth citizens. We need, as a humanity, <laughs> we need to lower our cholesterol. So, mushrooms are known to lower cholesterol. Wow. Oyster is a very powerful cholesterol-lowering mushroom, and it's used in… The flu oyster? Pretty much all the oysters. Oh, oyster, okay. Yeah, oyster, mushroom in general. Now, other mushrooms are going to lower cholesterol too in a sense, but oyster is the one that I've read a lot about.
0: So, in the Biology Belief mm-hmm. book, I'm not going to go into the whole yeah. thing, but we just read and listened to the whole discussion around cholesterol in the body. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure about that.
1: It is tricky because there's good plant sterols and, you know, there's things that boost cholesterol.
0: And yeah, Cholesterol but, is nothing so, more or less than a wave. It's, yeah. it's enclosed based on what your intake is at that moment. So, to say that it's high or low and to classify it yeah. as bad or… Yeah.
1: I don't know a lot about cholesterol, to be honest. It's not my forte, but I know that in general it's too high in people and we need to get it lower. So, mushrooms do help balance. Well, after let, the
0: show, we can talk about yeah, that. Yeah, let's, um, let's
1: stop saying lowering and boosting and say more balancing because balancing. mushrooms are adaptogenic. So, what are they doing with the immune system? The immunomodulating means that if your immune system's overactive, it's going to help to relax it. The mushrooms will relax it. If it's underactive, it will supercharge it up. The beta-glucans, according to WebMD and other sources, are known to boost white blood cell count. And natural killer cells and T helper cells and other things like macrophages and interleukin communication. And they help with cytokine communication, which is important. We know from COVID that you don't want a cytokine storm. So basically, when your immune system's dysfunctional, the mushrooms are going to support it. They're not a stimulant. You know, they're not something to be thought of as a sex drug. You know what I mean? Like with cordyceps, cordyceps boost lung function. It helps your DNA to get stronger, and it helps with um, fertility because it does boost sperm count and sperm quality. And it helps with energy because it oxygenates your blood in an interesting way. It like increases mitochondrial efficiency or something in that the sense that it helps with oxygenation of the oxygenation blood. So the, so the entire Chinese in Olympic team transfer
0: as well. From it's air transfer. The yeah.
1: yeah, Yeah, and the famous story is uh, the 1993 or 4 or something back in the 90s and into the 2000s, the Chinese Olympic team, the entire team was taking cordyceps as a national treasure. They continue to take it to this day and athletes around the world heard about it and started taking it.
0: Now, cordyceps, yeah. uh, what other mushrooms are part of the… Ultimate
1: mushrooms. Ultimate mushrooms. So, it's a blend of eight mushrooms. Cordyceps, reishi. Uh, mm-hmm. Reishi is the mushroom of immortality. It's the most studied mushroom in the world. Lingzhi. Lingzi in China's Chinese culture for over 5,000 years of, of traditional Chinese medicine has used it as a mushroom of immortality. And it's one of four mushrooms with its genome mapped. I think the other ones are button and shiitake. I can't remember all four of them, but they're probably mapping more than four by now, but I'd heard they'd map four. But mm. reishi is also good for lowering blood pressure, which is what we were just about to say after cholesterol is that mushrooms help with blood pressure lowering or balancing and also with blood sugar management. So all the medicinal mushrooms help with maintaining and keeping and lowering blood sugar, even to the point that if you had a really bad, let's say, a frappuccino or something loaded with sugar, and you took a medicinal mushroom powder and you put it in it, it will help prevent your blood sugar So this from will
0: act in the place of a proton pump inhibitor slash... Potentially. Azantium. I'm not going to say that... It, it, could. It, 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 it could. It could. It could.
1: And if you're eating very clean and mm-hmm. taking these medicinal mushrooms... It just goes to wherever your body needs it. So, the cordyceps helps with lung function. So, during COVID, we know we need more lung function. It's been proven that it helps with lung
0: function in COVID
1: patients. But it hasn't been talked I, about.
0: I don't know about that. The only yeah. case where I'm going to go with that real quick, right? Mm-hmm. I hate that discussion point. Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm happy to explore it. Yeah. Right. But with everything that I've read, I've listened to, someone's told me a story about, etc., I really do believe at this point that it is an attack on the gut slash microbiome okay. health and the deficiencies that lie there, in transferability of oxygenation into the blood, mm. which okay. is which is usually So the, the lungs body. is all side effect
1: of like uh, your body not coping well with yeah. the gut health and with the yeah, oxygenation because, because,
0: because again what. Well, what it's very common for yeah. people do is categorization of this system versus mm-hmm. that system, sure. right? Yeah, so, it's kind of like putting a bandaid on something. We're yeah, not really th- there is talking no isolation about isolation of systems. Yeah, it's, it's okay. a Harmonious system. That's a, that's a good point. That's it's a, good a harmonious point. system. Yeah. So to say that it's just your respiratory or it's just no, yeah. your renal, it's not true. That's it's true. always in relationship to something else. And so, mm-hmm. for example, in Chinese medicine, and I'm going to use this one because it was happening a lot for me was I'd get a lot of left knee pain mm-hmm. while my gallbladder was inflamed. But I was intermittent fasting too long. Okay. And by the time this podcast comes out, there's another one that's going to come up with will explain. So for all those who are looking for the story, it'll be there. Mm-hmm. As I increased, those I was on a very high-protein diet. Okay. And as I increased my carbohydrates, my inflammation, my gallbladder went down because my liver was taking a hit from my gallbladder because my liver wasn't processing or breaking down all the protein all, all the protein yeah. in the gut. Yeah. So you see where the systems are there yeah. that are kicking in. Yeah. So gut yeah, health is so essential. Yeah. It's just a it's just a balancing issue. More than a, not even yeah. an issue, a balancing yeah. practice. And it was it can be very cliche, but it's are you eating a balanced diet? I would say most people know. No. And then for another example would be I got into this trap a little while ago like when I was having red meat, I just wasn't responding well. Well, the issue is you know, you can say it's blood type diet or not, but no. I just didn't have enough hydrochloric acid. and have enough lemons for the, uh, that type of yep. water bait or content in my stomach breaking down the meat mm-hmm. so my body can respond normally. It's those type of I like that we took it
1: all back to the microbiome. Yeah, so, yeah it's- and,
0: that, and that's what I mean. So when I went back to the physician the other day and they were talking about a fasting mimicking, how is that relatable back to the microbiome? And they really couldn't go through it. And I was like, okay, well… That's just invited me into open areas. So mm-hmm. when you and I spoke the following day, I said, "Ah, we're going to go into that area because there was some open questions from a yeah. previous podcast." And that's everything that we do here. So if there's an open question, it's not like. That conversation was great and this one sucked and blah blah blah. It's it's just open areas of other parts of interest to how it all ties together.
1: It must tie together in the gut because when you take these mushroom products, Mm -hmm. and some of them are placebo-based products, by the way. We haven't talked about the fake mushroom products in the industry yet, but (laughs) we'll we'll do that in maybe one minute. But uh, first, you know, I know that when you're taking a raw whole food powder, Mm -hmm. or it's actually not raw because it's hot water extracted, but in general, we want things raw but mushrooms have to go through a hot water extraction. And then it all starts in the gut because obviously it's affecting your whole body from fertility to blood pressure to blood sugar to brain function and concentration. But it's all starting in the gut because that's where the product's going. Right. You know? And yeah. it's interacting with your nervous system in there. And then it's stimulating. Beta-glucans are stimulating all these things that go on. Like the adrenal... F- the blood, you know. blood
0: then, All starts in there. So, it's
1: absolutely a, a yeah. microbiome support system.
0: Back in 2007. So, not only yeah. do we know... And this is... Again, this is part of... Mm-hmm. If you understand... The source. If we understand how it works, mm-hmm. then you also know how to sell against it, how to write patents, and everything else. Sure. How to
1: isolate it and create a patent.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, and this is yeah. the problem with the industry is are mm-hmm. saying they're looking at it as, oh, how can we monetize it? How can we make yeah. incentives? How can we get into the stock market? Yeah. So if we didn't know exactly how the microbiome worked, based on all the research and data that was funded back from 2007 mm-hmm. into the NIH. Mm-hmm we wouldn't have known how we're moving forward in our current situation. For the people that are being affected the most, just at large, we're just talking just illness, yeah. right? Low vitamin D, poor microbiome health. Gut health, especially. Gut health, period. When you say microbiome, are you specifically referring yeah, to the gut? Gut, Yeah, okay. so, right. so the coordination and the communication of mm-hmm. the floor. The natural virus and bacteria that mm-hmm. live in our gut, because essentially the human body is nothing more than a bunch of cells that are living that it keeps us what we call alive. Mm-hmm. And when they are poorly nourished, guess what? We don't survive.
1: There's dysfunction, this, basically. Dysfunction yeah. everywhere, right? Same thing with running. If one little thing breaks down, the chain starts breaking That's down. Right. Exactly. If your gut has more nerves than almost any part of your body, is that right? It, it, your brain and your gut. I mean, your gut actually has the most. Your, nerves. your gut.
0: Your gut is actually your first brain. Yeah. This guy up here mm-hmm. is just the the new frontal cortex, mm-hmm. which is really rapidly being I wouldn't say replaced, but. It's trying to be hijacked by the computer. Yeah, like a cyborg. Uh, although, although, although the computer <laughs> yeah. has its place, it has its definite place yeah. in, our, in higher learning. Well, mushrooms are the internet. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So, Two final questions for yeah. you. Very educated. What are you reading? What are you listening to mm-hmm. to keep yourself on the upfront?
1: Good question. We go to trusted sources like PubMed and Healthline.com. Healthline.com is one of my favorite resources. As a botanist, I have a podcast on Wednesdays on Instagram Live on Live Ultimate's channel called Wellness Wednesday with Brian the Botanist, and I interview people. I'd love to interview you soon too on there. I always tell people to be their own botanist. You just need to read your labels, but how do you relabel? You just got to start by looking things up. You got to go to the internet and type stuff in but you have to use trusted sources. You can't just go off of blogs. What is a trusted source? It means that it's evidence-based. And one of my favorite websites, and I have no reason to promote them other than I fell in love with their knowledge and the way that they simplify everything is healthline.com. If I'm typing in cordyceps space proven benefits into Google or DuckDuckGo, I guarantee you one of the first hits is going to be Healthline because Every single thing on Healthline at the top of the article and on their website, but at the top of every article, it says evidence-based with a check mark next to it. Every single claim. If it says Cordyceps boost lung function, it's going to have a hyperlink on the boost lung function. So you don't have to go down to the footnotes. You can go onto the claim on the article, click on it, and it's going to take you to the trusted source, which is 9 out of 10 times PubMed. But if it's not PubMed, then it's something else, you know, another trusted source where it's randomized, placebo-controlled, double-blind study or whatever the most best studies, and they found that all these things, you know, the, 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 okay, people used to say, oh, for HIV or AIDS, you can give people, um, what were they saying, one of the mushrooms that it was going to help to cure it. You can't make that claim. They don't have a study on on HIV patients to, to show that any mushroom is going to for sure reverse or cure or treat it. We're not allowed to say treat, prevent, cure, diagnose, you know, we have FDA disclaimers. We have to be careful. We don't talk a lot about cancer, even though Paul Stamets said his mom had a remission from taking turkey tail. I listened to a couple of really good podcasts, including yours, which I recently fell in love with, where I'm learning so much about holistic health and from all these experts. I listened to a couple other podcasters like Dr. Mark Plotkin, who has a podcast called Plants of the Gods. Uh And he studied under Richard Evan Schultes, which is one of the top ethnobotanists in the history of the world, along with Wasson and another person. They were the top three in the 60s who kind of 50s and 60s got it all started along with Alfred Hoffman, everyone, the whole movement. Like Richard Schultes was an ethnobotanist in South America. I'm fascinated by South American ethnobotany. Mm -hmm. I have had the opportunity to, you know, take ayahuasca in ceremony a couple times in Peru and also in the U.S. and also peyote in ceremonial uses Mm -hmm. only. And um, I'm fascinated not only by those, which I actually prefer in smaller amounts, similar to psychedelic psilocybin. I prefer that in a smaller amount. So I'm fascinated by history. I'm listening to a podcast called Plants of the Gods. That's newer. He's a professor from Harvard or somewhere. I have the
0: book. Mark Pluckin. I haven't read Amazon.
1: Story. He's got a book about the Amazon. He, his focus is South America, mm-hmm. but he highlights how plants are used throughout all cultures. Like He'll have a podcast on wine, all about the history of wine. He'll have a podcast on mushrooms. He'll have a podcast on... Um, even drugs that have come from plants and how like like, coca, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't always cocaine before it had a history. Dr. Mark Plotkin's uh, newer podcast called Plants of the Gods. I really like, I like Lex Friedman a lot. Um, He's on uh, YouTube and he's very artificial.
0: Fairly popular, fairly popular.
1: So Joe Rogan, obviously I like a lot of his guests because I like Joe's format and I like the way he's so authentic. And I like just the way that he never thinks too much of himself. He's always very humble and like lets his, Guests speak and lets them kind of, you know, get out what they need to say. I think you have a very similar format. You have a very similar format in your own unique way. And then Lex, I just like Lex's um, people he interviews because a lot of it's about the mind and also the universe and about physics. Besides that, I'm reading a couple books like Dr. Joe Dispenza's book. I just picked it up in the last month or so. And what other book do I have at home? A book about my family's history. Besides that, there was a, a woman in my mom's lineage who um, was kidnapped by Native Americans. She was taken for a couple of weeks and she escaped by, um, her and the young boys with her. They had to kill five or six Native Americans to escape. And then they made their way back from Canada to Boston where they're from. And she's known as Hatchet Hannah, but that's her bad nickname. But her real name's Hannah Durston. Wow. And they have a statue of her in Salem near Boston and yeah. near the witch area. And she was the first heroine in the U.S. apparently. And she's got a 50, 60 foot statue and. They call her Hatchet Hannah because she scalped, with the help of a couple of little boys, six or seven Native American adolescents to escape from being kidnapped. And they killed a lot of people in her village. So I've been reading a story, it's called um, Massacre on the Merrimack. And it's a book about a person in my mom's family who, um, it's a story of heroism, this woman's survival, and I actually use it when I'm running too to kind of remind myself, we have it pretty good that we're, you know, we're, we're in a pretty simple place. And, and this is a kind of a, one of my philosophies is I got it from a friend, but life is simple, not easy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's a marathon. Of you know course. what I mean? Life is simple, but it's not easy. Running. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of running analogies, but yeah, I think, cool. I think running, I think life's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You're going to have highs and lows. My dad always says, you got to sign up for the whole ride, whether it's a relationship or life, you know, you're not signing up just for the highs and you got to balance the highs and lows and you got to have endurance and
0: how many miles did you run yesterday?
1: Uh, 16. <laughs> I, did, I did four in the morning and then a 12 mile track workout, but I'm about 19 days away from the Boston Marathon. Oh, We're doing you... a special edition this year on October 11th. Oh, I didn't know that. Really? That's cool. Yeah, I got pushed from the normal date of April 21st and Patriots Day in the spring uh, to October this year because of COVID international crowd won't be as big. They lowered the field to 20,000 from 31,000. But I listened to a podcast yesterday from the race director, Dave McGillivray, who I've gotten to meet a couple of times. And he's been the race director for, I think, 30 years. And he's run it 50 times. And he runs it after everyone else runs it. But it's, it's just getting exciting. been putting in a lot of work the last three months, especially. And um, this is going to be my eighth Boston, I think, eighth or ninth. But wow. I'm, I take every one like it is the most precious experience in your life. Because whether it's Boston or it's Fort Lauderdale, It's really fun to get out there. What's the best finish you've gotten in the marathon? 2019, December 2019, so almost two years ago, my last marathon that I ran was in Sacramento. Uh, It's called California International Marathon, Mm -hmm. CIM for short, and I ran 231.20. I've run 232 like four times in places like Berlin, Boston, Chicago, and CIM. I've run 232 four or five times, and then I've run 234 and 235, a bunch, Fort Lauderdale, other places around the U.S., and then I finally got the 231, so now I'm trying to get the sub-230, and I've been trying for 10 years. That was my best one ever was California. It's actually a more fast course. It's pretty much Sacramento. It's point-to-point, 26 miles away. They start you in Folsom. You go downhill for like the first 16 or so, and then the last six wow. is flat in the Sacramento, and you finish at the state capitol. I've done that one twice, in 2018 and 2019, mm-hmm. and I ran 232 and then 231.20. So I'm going back to Boston. I get Boston first, and then I get CIM second. That one's in December, December Mm -hmm. 5th or 6th, and my birthday's on the 4th. And I've run marathons a bunch on that same date, whether it was in Jamaica. I did one on my birthday a couple times, and then Sacramento falls on my birthday weekend. So it's kind of fun. And then I get two chances to go for that elusive sub-230, which I've been going for for 10 years. It's a 10-year goal. What do you think? I feel like I'm ready. It's just anything can happen on marathon day. You know what I mean? And it's just all about how you feel that day, your mindset, your attitude, how you handle things that come your way, everything, emotions, whether it be a side stitch or upset stomach, or if you feel like you have to go to the bathroom, it happens once in a while to everyone. You know, you can do your best to get ready. And when you're running that fast, I mean, that fast is all about levels Mm. because four hour marathon is fast. My first one was 418 when I was 20 years old. And then my best is 231, so it goes from a 948 average down to a 546. and I'm trying to get her to 542. So every second counts, and there's pros running it. The Did you world runner run as well.: She's a new, runner. new um, runner. She's been running for about a year and a half. She runs with me a lot. We train together, but then unfortunately, she got in a car accident in February of 21. About seven months ago on I-95, it wasn't her fault, and she was in a six-car chain reaction. And fortunately, she's okay and survived because it was Everyone pretty bad.
0: But 95 down here in South Florida is a, a war it's zone Anyway, Yeah, it's, it's, right? it's, it's,
1: it's 95. Everyone's got stories about it. But um, yeah. her foot is still recovering. She's still on crutches. She got diagnosed with CRPS, Complex Regional Pain Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it's a nervous system dysfunction. So she's going to a, a clinic that specializes in it called Sparrow Clinic in Arkansas. That is one of the nation's leaders for helping people who haven't walked in years. Some people have CRPS throughout their whole body and every limb. It's called the burning limb syndrome. It's a dysfunction. The MRIs show that it's okay. It's healed, but she's still relearning how to walk after seven months. She was supposed to be here today, but she couldn't make it. And she's so excited because she's seen that this is what you're, I think that you're functional. The, what you showed yeah. me earlier on the screen here, she sees a nervous system up on the screen there tied into all the other systems and you can feel her energy and see what she's up to. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, She's close, and she, but she hasn't walked in seven months. So she was training with me. She was 10 days away from doing her first half marathon on February 14th at Fort Lauderdale, which I ended up doing, yeah. but she cheered for me. We both trained for it together. And then 10 days before the race, she got in a car accident and hasn't walked in seven months. So she's no. she's getting back out there. But she has a goal to run a marathon someday and to be a runner. Um, and it inspires her because she sees people with one leg. And she showed me a video the other day of a beautiful salsa dancer in Brazil. Mm. And she only has one leg. She doesn't have a leg from her hip down. On the, I think that's how she was born. And she's an incredible, like, world-class salsa dancer. So I was just, we were blown away. The human body
0: is incredible. I mean, yeah, that's actually. I got to run even, the Boston Marathon. When I ran it, I'm not a. I mean, since the Boston Marathon, no, I think runner is I, a body I, in motion. I, an athlete is a body in motion. Yeah, I think you're I a runner. Collectively, yeah. like six or seven miles since then. Yeah, I'm just a mover. Okay, uh, so all that beyond, but yeah. I, I think the initial for me running was just me to lose some weight. I played Division One football. I was 240 pounds playing weight, and I was like, I don't need this weight anymore, so what do I do? Oh, that's not the marathon. Plus, it was a cool goal. My turning point of saying, oh my gosh, this is, I watched some guy cross the line, bleeding nipples, crap running down his leg. I've seen that. Limping across. Nothing Like Like this. But
1: just yes. beautiful and feel line. like you're naked to the world, but also the most confident you've ever felt. Yeah, and it was out-of-body unbelievable. Out-of-body experiences happen all the time during a marathon. And I was like, man, yeah. I was like, look at that. I was like, how can you oh, not yeah. do something like that? It's I, a true test of the human spirit. Yeah. And if you ever feel like you don't have faith in humanity, they say to go watch a marathon or volunteer at one.
0: That was actually part of our college requirement. Well, I shouldn't say it was requirement, but it was highly encouraged. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I was volunteering at the finish line. Sure. There's some, some people that do it, it for it. a
1: bigger cause too. Like I was listening to Dave McGillivray, the race director's podcast yesterday, and he's been doing this for a long time since the seventies and he's a professional athlete and that he ran across the whole U S from West coast to East coast. He talks about how there's three levels of running. Are you going to do
0: an ultimate ultra? ultra? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm going to do one someday. My longest so far has been 55 K at wings for life and um, sunrise, wow. but I was an unlimited Distance race, where you go the, I mean, every year is a different amount. It's just a, yeah. it's when the passer car catches you, it's done. But basically, Dave was saying that there's three types of runners in the Boston Marathon: the pros, mm-hmm. you know, that are actually paid and brought in, and there's a pro field, and then there's a age grouper field of people who are really serious about their goals. They may place top in their age group, maybe in their 40s or 50s, Mm. or they might be an age grouper in their 30s who does really well locally in their age group, but they're called age groupers, and that's Mm -hmm. where I would fall, Mm -hmm. or sub-elite for me, because I'm kind of up in the front end of the age groupers going for like a top 100 placement, Mm -hmm. top five in my age group. Then the the third section is people that are doing it for usually a reason bigger than themselves. They just jump in. This is like a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and they train their butt off, because for me, I've been qualified for the Boston Marathon every single year of my life since 2008 or 9. And some people, it takes 10 marathons to do it, you know, and they work so hard to get there. And then that's their experience. And the F-16s fly over at the start line. And, you know, it's just got so much grandiose history to it. It started in 1894, I believe. And it's in its 125th year this year. And, you know, it's got storied history of just everything to do with America. Remind me, you know, the no. first woman runner jumped and they tried to pull her. And there's so much beautiful and then Boston, as a city, I just love to death because my mom's family is from there and there's so much history. Like, I was going to
0: say, like, that's where I'm from. I'm born and raised Boston. Yeah? Marblehead's where my uh, my mom's cousins live in Marblehead. Do so usually... you know where the finish line is? Copley Square. In Copley Square, right? So I was born and raised in Brighton, which is five okay. miles away. Oh, my God. You were born and raised in Brighton? Born okay. and raised in Brighton, yeah. Wow. So, you know Boston very well. Yeah. Like... I went to Northeastern, okay. went to John Bosco, both... Downtown Boston, both of those schools. One of my mentors went to Northeastern. Once upon a time, yeah, that's Mark where Michelle Holmes, and I met. Yeah. Oh wow! But you played football for them yeah. when they had a football. It was yeah. a Division One AA program when they had it. They're not as strong of the sports school, but academics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Michelle and I would joke like, I don't know if we can get in today. <laughs> I mean, academics <laughs> went through the yeah. really how really hard to go in. That's where I was originally born and raised. Yeah. And I remember my probably one of the best memories of the marathon that I ran. I forget the. It was an all-girls school i was running and it was just a long straightaway and i hear (laughs) and it was this school like partying their ass off all these kids just like i mean it was unbelievable and there was water tables on both sides kids were dancing and partying and everyone's like yeah go go and they had no idea who i was anyone for that matter one of the most memorable out of body experiences you can It's think so of. powerful because
1: when you approach the Wellesley Scream Tunnel where the Wellesley Women's College is, you can that's hear it. That's what it
0: was, it. Wellesley. Yeah, Wellesley. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I was telling my girlfriend the story the other day because she hasn't been to Boston yet with me. So I was telling her when you get near the Wellesley Scream Tunnel, because we're staying in Wellesley at our Airbnb, I'm like, you can hear it from a mile away. Yeah. You can hear exactly the, you can you hear like this,
0: like, And and you're like, what is
1: that? What is that like? It sounds like the angels are talking from heaven. Yeah. And then you get closer and closer and you're like, that's 5,000 people screaming. Right. And they scream for five or six hours and they put signs up saying, kiss me. And you're supposed to kiss them on the cheek. There's notorious stories of people that are kissing people on the face and and on the mouth. There's also stories about people getting married. Get married. Yep. There's 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 a proposal. Yeah. The guy or the woman. Figured out who the guy was that she kissed, and usually it's a guy kissing a girl. But in this case, the girl kissed the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's some famous stories from Wellesley. So then, what
0: about when you finally hit Comm mm-hmm. and you take that left, well, then you come see, you see the "sicko"
1: sign when you come over one of those final hills at about I think that's oh, what that's with it. That's where the party are right there.
0: That's with Boston where the, all the kegs College, are, right? Is, right? Coming up, yeah, it's all right coming down the hill from Boston College. Mm-hmm. Boston it, College is rowdy. Circle. Yeah, they get
1: they get out, and all the colleges along the way. There's people drinking out of kegs. Mm-hmm. There's people grilling, and the whole. State is alive. I think about a million people line the course usually, which is right after Heartbreak Hill. Yep. So yeah. the commercial avenue. What is it called? Commercial. Or I'm sorry, you said what calm is out. Com ave, yeah. Calm out. It's yeah. Commonwealth, yeah, Commonwealth Avenue. I'm sorry. Commonwealth. Yes. Yeah, so when you
0: come off of Heartbreak Hill, that's the right last section you before
1: out. you turn onto Hereford and Boylston. That's right. Yep. So you take a right off of. Uh,
0: you go calm out Commonwealth. a few miles, and then you basically mm-hmm. take the right, and then the left onto Boylston. And you finish right on bo-
1: right on Hereford, left on Boylston. Yeah. Yep. When you turn that corner, it's a hard corner, and You're at mile 25.8 at that point. Mm -hmm. I think 600 meters down Boylston Street to the finish. And 600 meters is long at the end. It takes about two. If you're sprinting hard, it takes two minutes. It is. If you're not sprinting, it's going to take four to five minutes. And the whole stretch is a million people in grandstands. Oh, yeah. And the media. And you feel like you're in the
0: Olympics. Let me tell you this. So I was coming off of heartbreak, Mm -hmm. now born and raised in Brighton. So as you're running through BC, you're in Brighton. Okay, so my that's my your family right. was there.
1: And at that point, you're like going down. We're going downhill. Because yeah, the top of that course is, the notorious course is uh, Newton
0: Hills. That's know? right. You yep. get to the top of Heartbreak Hill and then mm-hmm. you come down to Newton Brighton. Hills. That's right. Okay. So the way I was coming down, now I was severely dehydrated. Now mm-hmm. I ran the race at 230 pounds.
1: Wow. Yes. I'm running at 130. So that's a big, every yeah. pound they say is four seconds per mile about. Yeah.
0: On it. And I finished the race in four hours and 20 minutes. Wow. At that weight. That's great. So... Coming down, I remember seeing my mother, and I was so dehydrated, I actually had pulled my hamstring. Oh, my God. Yeah, that happens. And I remember I cramped, and I just kicked my leg forward, and you felt the, the pop. Oh, my God. I said, hi, Ma. I can't stop. i got to keep going. Oh, you saw her 25? I or... saw her right across where the BC football stadium is. Okay. Right? So, I gave her a Pass Fenway. I mean, you're passing all these cool... We didn't pass Fanway yet. So, oh, okay. so, so, we're so, we're coming far. down to BC football stadiums right, right over here, and we're coming down... That section and, I'm always kind of like vision is going yeah. at that point. That's what I think and a lot I'm of people like, don't
1: understand is you go out of body and you're literally just digging and you're just focused on moving. And if you stop, you don't want to stop. You just don't want to stop. No one needs to stop at that point. So get to I, I was like,
0: I just had to keep going. Yeah. And I remember when I hit Cleveland Circle, yeah. the pain got, I don't want to say so bad because obviously I finished, but it was pretty high at that point. And I walked and I remember when I had to start running again, it was like my body was like, no. To get down Boylston? uh To get streets. down, calm out At this point, oh, we came, still, now we're we're coming so down you're about two miles away. We're about two miles away. Yeah. So I made it down, and so when I took the left back onto Boylston, mm-hmm. and I saw the finish line that you just talked about, I didn't know if I was able to make it. I it's was a like, long stretch. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh! Like, look how far that is. So all I did mm-hmm. was close my eyes. Wow! And I just kept running. I saw yeah. my classmates, my teammates. Obviously, I saw Michelle in your how do you saw them no i, I you saw, saw them, them on the physically. sidelines oh yeah i oh. saw them I, I could hear them and, oh wow and all i just kept uh, i was They're like looking and clothes. i was like and i just closed my eyes and just finish finish okay. that's all i kept saying finish yeah, finish, yeah. you finish. have to have a mantra and my body was yep. in shutdown mode at that point point. Mm-hmm. and when i finished at the end i was that guy that was it. It's that was incredible, like, yeah. It's, it was when you finish; it's
1: incredible because you just you're done. Then you just it's like afterglow starts.
0: I think yeah, so like, it was like just, afterglow I, begins for two weeks after. I couldn't walk downstairs. <laughs>
1: yep, yeah. yeah, it's classic. The next day at the hotels and at the places you see, at the I was airports walking down in downstairs Boston. backwards. Yeah, people have to go backwards.
0: I guess yeah. Yeah, that's how I was it's doing. It's really that. bad. So yeah, it's okay. And everything else was fine. The same but day, my you're hamstrings fine, yeah. were yeah. Which you never really would think about because it's your hamstrings. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's like more quad, especially going down heartbreak yeah, hill. That's quads go out, the calves go out quickly. It was just like, okay. Mm-hmm. so, so that, Yeah, that's how you have to
1: learn skills. throughout the course of marathoning to get a lot of salts. It's called preloading where you get salts and you get sugars in you before you need them. Yeah. That's what the pros do.
0: I learned it from when I it like I yeah. did, I just jumped into the I – know I trained. Oh, you were a bandit? Oh, yeah. I ran a bandit, but I, I did train. Like, Michelle uh-huh. would ride on the Charles River. Okay. She'd ride the bike next to me, and we'd go up for 16, 18. This was 1999. nine. Ninety
1: nine. Wow. Yeah. yeah. My first Boston was 2010, so okay. we had an 11-year gap there. Yeah. And your wife ran it in
0: 2003. In 2003, yeah. Okay. And she killed it. And what was awesome about, which is even, like, the testimony of her is she mm-hmm. had back surgery. At, That's right. A few years before. You, they're like, they're not you're gonna like, look, like, you're right? probably not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, and it's they crazy. they put all these ridiculous limitations on her. Yeah, she, she ran a Boston marathon. Wow, the spirit is so powerful. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't. She killed it. But that just as goes as well. to tell you, like, yeah. So when you hear, and I really don't believe they do it by intent. I just, it's all practicality of all the people they see, doctors, mm-hmm. that auto suggestion. Uh, well, you're going to be limited, or you're not going to be able to do X. It really can just darken the spirit if you yeah. let it. Or let them. You know, it's kind the of wrong message. We should never say that to someone. Our words are Ever. so powerful.
1: Yeah. What I was originally trained in was chi running, which combines elements of yoga and tai chi into mm. running to make it more mindful and less about the ego. Mm. In fact, in destroying the ego and running. And that's supposed to be a very mindful running where wow. no pain. So you're
0: making running a psychedelic experience in a way. Basically,
1: it's like an Alan Watts experience for running. The huh. founder, Danny Dreyer, I was able to train under him in 2009 in New York in Central Park. And now he lives in Asheville and that's where chi Running's out of. It was originally out of Boulder. He was trained under Tai Chi Masters and he wrote this book to blend all philosophies together. And that's what I was originally certified in for about four or five years. And I taught hundreds of people Qi running at all levels and basically helps you connect your body to itself, to your mind. And then you use your breath in a more powerful way. Your whole body all is one. Instead of most people think about just using their legs, you're supposed to use your, your psoas is actually what powers you, your posture. And the, right. they start everything, the entire course starts with the foundation is posture. Right. So it's all about connecting four dots, your head, shoulders, hips, and ankles in a straight line. So everything needs to be straight so that gravity can go down straight through you and you don't have any impact forces as much as when you overstride. Or your dorsiflex and get out in front of yourself. your out heel of straight. posture. Position. Yeah, you're you're out of posture. You're leaning back usually, and your foot's going forward. And that's an exaggeration, but you can see it in runners. Those who are leaning forward, they're using the force of gravity to propel them down the road. And the faster you want to go, your gas pedals is your lean. So the more yeah. you lean, but you have to lean from the ankles without breaking the four posture points. Right. So the problem is most people will lean from the hips. And you've seen that I'm sure in Well, your they practice. lean from the hips because they're thinking because if my
0: head's forward, I think I'm in that position where it's yeah, really not. But then
1: that's, well, they are in a leaning position, but they're going to cause severe it's the damage. Wrong joints. They're going to cause damage to their back, obviously. Right. Yeah. And so like the big tenants of chi running, the two or three big things are number one, prevent injuries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Number two, be efficient. So it all comes down to physics and you have to answer those two questions when you say, well, why am I swinging my arms straight forward and straight back at a 90 degree angle and keeping my hands the width of if I had like a basketball in between them and I'm rubbing my elbows against my rib cage that 90 degree and you go from your elbow to your wrist along your rib cage. So why am I doing that, Mr. Dryer? Because everything comes back to physics and efficiency and preventing injuries. Yeah, so yeah. if you're going across your center line like this, you're inefficient. You're moving parts Less are going, dynamic, right? Your moving parts are always supposed to be going from point A to point B, not towards point C or D. So if you're going mm. like this, Your energy is going this way and this way. And I'm exaggerating it, but anything crossing your center line, Mm -hmm. you're losing efficiency. When your shoulders come up, you're losing efficiency because you want to relax them. Like if your shoulders are up, you could cause a lot of tension in your neck. Another one would be not towing off. When you push off, you're not supposed to toe off with your calf and your small muscles of your foot. You're supposed to lift with your psoas. So that's one of the biggest part of chi running is that everything comes back to your chi, which is in your dan tian above your belly button. Mm-hmm. There's a chi ball that we visualize. The chi ball is what you're moving forward. Like when you're leaning, you're moving that chi ball forward. Yeah, and yeah. then your whole body is like the Statue of Liberty, and it gets cut at the ankles. It's not moving at the waist. It's not going like... Because you don't want to crumple. You want to be tall, just like in swimming. You want to be tall, and you tuck your chin. And we do that by... I mean, I can show you in three seconds here, like... What you do is you just jump, shake out, get your feet pointing forward. And of course you gotta kind of ground yourself and get your feet and knees good. But then okay, are my knees over my feet? Yep. Are my hips over my ankles? Okay, good. Now we're starting to get more mindful. Now we got three posture checks. We're gonna lengthen our spine by putting our hand on our abdominal and our other hand, doesn't matter which one, on our chest. Mm -hmm. Lengthen. That's the first visualization, is to lengthen. The second one is to tuck the back of the head. So I'm brushing my head to tuck it forward so that my head isn't up because a lot of runners run with their head up and that causes neck tension and it's inefficient so you want your eyes on the horizon or on the brim of a baseball cap brush your chin forward so that you're tucked you don't want to over tuck you just want to be in nice kind of visualize like a race Mm. like if you're racing on a horse or if you're downhill skiing you want to tuck or if you're a fighter jet pilot or whatever a jockey on a horse is going to tuck you got to tuck that head okay so that's number two that makes your spine taller because your crown is towards higher towards the ceiling. Number three is to put your right hand on your abdominals. They always say put the thumb on the belly button and the rest of the hand on the lower abdominals. The left hand on the small of the back and you're gonna do a slight pelvic tilt. A lot of runners run with their butt up and that's gonna cause a problem and it's because they're straining. Their C is backwards. You're supposed to make a C shape. So lengthen, tuck, and tuck. And when you're tucking with this way, you're like a bowl of water with your hips. You don't want the water to spill out the front when your butt's out. Mm-hmm. You don't want your water to spill out the back. You want your water to be level and the
0: Think salad, of a pool, bowl, salad with bowl. The glass yep. on the edge not going over the edge. Yeah.
1: And so that's the third point. And then basically visualizing that you're holding up a ceiling with your head was super important for me. So it sounds really strange, but I teach it to all my runners. Is when you're running, you're not only butt-kicking at first to get yourself on the midfoot. Like you want to run on your midfoot. That's very important for running, not on your heels because the knee injuries. because you're basically breaking when you're supposed to be working with the forces that you're working with. When the road meets you, you're supposed to land directly underneath your center of gravity. You're not supposed to push like most people push with their toes and like 90% of runners, 99% of runners toe off. Wow. You're supposed to lift with your psoas. And when you lift, the other visualization that taught me a lot was to visualize that i'm holding up a ceiling with my head when i'm running and i'm i'm fairly short so i don't hold up many ceilings but um i'm always visualizing that i'm holding up a ceiling why because it opens up your chest more shoulders are back and down you know you got to really get that yogic breath in yeah, don't just want to yeah. use a shallow part you want to get down into your diaphragm it really
0: opens up the cardiovascular when you're holding there. up your
1: head versus you know you're down like this or you're up like this and you're like straining it's like you're not strong and then when you're holding up your head holding up a ceiling it also engages the abdominals. And that's brilliant because then you start to use your abdominals when you're running. And your abdominals are the strongest part of your body, your psoas. So chi running teaches you how to use your psoas and how to use your mind and your body together. And I mean, we were meant to run originally yeah, we together. Were. Right. So I think yeah. that it's just learning. And I used to teach something called run like a kid again. That was one of my philosophies. I would teach people how to run like a kid because when you're a kid, you're generally following a lot of these principles, but you don't realize it.
0: Yeah, Kids yeah. are
1: natural runners. And if you watch a, like a five-year-old running out on the grass or at their school, gym time, they're doing a good job. They're leaning forward. Their head is kind of moving in the right forward and they're just kicking up behind them. And it's when we get older, and this is an exaggeration, we tend to lose a lot. We're sitting at a desk all day. We're hunched over. So when we start running, I see a lot of hunched over runners. I see sometimes on my track club, people who got their head way up here. I see people with the head-to-head moving to you see people with their arms doing. You've seen the Seinfeld episode where they don't know what to do with their arms, you know. But there's a lot of questions that I get as a running coach, and I think that's a big part of my life. That was what I was focused on for almost over ten years now, ten to fifteen years. It's just one part. It's just part of being human. I think is having an output that you can do exercise and enjoy it and not yeah, get yeah. injured and push the levels of your mind. I have friends who do a hundred to two hundred miles at a time, it takes some twenty plus hours, and that's a true journey. So for me, wow. it's two and a half hours, really hard. Marathon is a cool test because each one, you can't ever think, like with a half marathon, it's more realistic to think, I'm going to finish this no matter what. With a full marathon, you have to go into so much respect because you don't know what's going to happen. You have to be humble no matter how good you are. You You don't know what the weather's going to be like. Don't know what the weather's going to be like. I'm telling you, when I ran that Boston
0: Marathon, it was 65 degrees. Yeah, it
1: could be 90. In Florida,
0: 65 degrees is
1: freezing right? Yeah, but up there it's <laughs> up like, there it's like... Well, they had one year in 2012, they almost shut it down for the first time in the history because the ground temperatures at the start line were like 95 degrees. And then they had the Dave McGillivray, the race director said, listen, guys, we don't have enough room in the tent for 30 some thousand people. We only have enough room for a thousand people in the medical tent. We can only help a thousand of you. There's 30,000 of you dial back your goals. Don't go so hard. You know, mm-hmm. so Running
0: is a lot of mental
1: talk and I think well, it's, it's um, really important. There's for, a few people that... Yeah, I-
0: that also passed away too. They undertrained or there's- Oh, there's usually a or... um, couple of deaths.
1: Not usually, but in yeah. one year in Detroit, in the Detroit Marathon, five people died. I'm from Wisconsin. So I read it happened back when I was you know, in the Wisconsin area. And it was, I think they were all men, but they were different ages. There might've been one woman. It was usually a heart condition that they didn't know about. Yeah. They pushed themselves too hard. Besides that, you know, it's pretty rare to have a heart attack or a stroke. But you, know, you just got to go in, you got to train. I mean, that's a big thing. Unless you're going to walk like 80% of it and you can there almost walk. Do that too. They give you a six to seven hour time limit. Walking pace is 16 to 18 minutes about maybe if you're walking fast. And if you do the calculations, you can cover 26 miles at 16 minute per mile pace and it takes about mm-hmm. six hours, six to seven hours if you're walking very fast.
0: Last question for you, Brian, is you get to leave the audience with any last words you'd like to leave them. The for yours.
1: Well, thanks, Scott. Um, Wow, this is a big responsibility. My last words for this podcast, be your own botanist and read your own label. Don't rely on other people to tell you what you can figure out too. And it's going to be an amazing journey. It could seem complicated, but you got to start somewhere, just like in a marathon. It's one foot in front of the other. And when you do your research, then you don't take anyone's word for it. And I always say, don't take my word for it. Do your own research. Be your own botanist always triple check everything don't take anyone's word for it learn on your own but also i think you know besides that, it's to be like a kid again in everything you do whether it's running or just childlike wonder don't have a jaded outlook on the world the world's a beautiful place and there's a lot of beauty every single way you look from the floor to the texture to nature to a person to what's going on with people helping each other The world's a really beautiful place, even with pollution, even with genetically modified organisms, even with cancer and all these prescription drugs and COVID. It's a beautiful place. And it's our responsibility as earth stewards and earth citizens to what a steward means is that we don't own the earth. We're here to take care of it during our time here. So it's a big responsibility because we're leaving it for our children and generations to come. Ecology and botany and running and you know, I hope all these things kind of tie back together in that it's, it's about health and about the planet and about our bodies and just about coexisting. And one of my favorite philosophies I saw growing up, um, I think my parents, I don't know who told it to me exactly, but it's live simply so that others may simply live. And I think that's what I want to end with is live simply so that others may simply live.
0: Brian, thanks again for tuning in. I can't thank Brian enough. Live Ultimate is actually now an official affiliate. We'll see you for the next one. Take care. Nation, as I re-listened to this conversation, I realized we need to dive deeper into Live Ultimate's Ultimate Elixir product. And I have scheduled Brian to come back in studio to record a second episode to fill in those details. I am in love with the Ultimate Trooms and the Ultimate Elixir. Michelle and I both begin our day with Live Ultimate. And I look forward to sharing that experience with you as well. If you want to give Live Ultimate a try, head on over to scottieburgess.com head over to the store and look for Live Ultimate. Don't forget you can find all of 110 episodes at scottyburges.com, and the follow-up conversations are shared in our Facebook community, The Best and Brightest. From all of us, we thank you for your continued support. We'll see you for episode 111 with a fun and genuine conversation with Dennis Klein himself. See you there.